are listening to the Legendary Wrestling Obsession Podcast with your hosts, Corey Draper and Jeff Hughes. What a bastard! Didn't know what happened to him there. My word, Anderson can't believe that he's beside himself with anger. And Tully Blanchard is beside himself almost unconscious. Good down-home cheating. Good down-home good down cheating. Sure. Welcome back to another week of the Legendary Wrestling Obsession Podcast. I'm Corey Draper here with Jeff Hughes. Greetings and salutations, everybody. It is a week with Sheik all over it because we've got the AWA Sheik, which was the first one that we knew, and sadly, the passing of our beloved Sheiky baby, the Iron Sheik, this week. Yeah, it's hard to take. I mean, at least he lived to a fairly decent age. As one of one of, wasn't one of these guys that passed away at the age of thirty or forty or fifty, but and he uh, stayed contemporary. He was always mixing it up and calling people out and getting a laugh. <laughs> and uh, he's a regular guest on Howard Stern. You always yeah. calling out Hogan and B. Brian Blair. Yeah, and he could entertain right to the last day. That's right. So as you may have guessed, we are not going to do a Saturday Night's main event this week. We'll get back on that track next week. This week we're looking at an event. In April of 1985, the AWA, American Wrestling Association, Starcage. I can't believe that I didn't even know that this existed until now. I didn't, I wasn't aware. When you, every time you said Starcage, I'm thinking, Starcade. <laughs> and that's the thing. Pre, so this is coming out, you know, with about a month after WrestleMania. So we've had 83, 84 Starcade events. Now, Vince McMahon has pulled off WrestleMania. But for the most part, in the territory era, shows were just, they weren't national events. They weren't these, like, sort of things that everybody knew about. They were just big house shows. So they would theme shows at times, like this one, and build a house to get a bigger, a bigger pop, a bigger crowd, so to speak. But it wasn't something that was sort of marketed and produced in a way that, like, you know, the world is watching. Well, Dusty used to name his tours. Sometimes, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I knew this from the wrestling mag- magazines. He was like, this one's called Slam That Sucker Down Tour. I'm going <laughs> to take care of business. I mean, I'm uh, obviously I'm reading the written words. So yeah, I don't yeah. know why, but like, and uh, it was kind of neat because it would, it's just such a different way of sort of folding in what his real lifestyle was, which was making these constant loops of the nation yeah. or the territory or whatever. But to sort of like take these three months, I'm going to, you know, this one is, this one's Red Dawn. We're going to take care of Nikita Koloff and, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and, and it was sort of around the Magnum TA uh, yeah, era. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's really neat how we just sort of only knew really about a television show and right. then it was like... Like for me, I got to go see some live events and then it became, you know, of course, Saturday night's main event was a game changer because it was mm-hmm. proper, exciting matches instead of, you know, instead of the TV show trying to get you in to see all these proper headliners, Saturday night's main event delivered the headliners. But we still have a special place in our, place in our hearts for one hour of squash matches every <laughs> yeah. week. Yeah. And that's all we got of our AWA. And of course, they would, uh, you know, give you. Tease you. Yeah. And you get when you, it was so exciting when you got to see a clip, especially. Especially from the Winnipeg Arena, if yeah. we're in Winnipeg, watching any of their arena shows, really, 
just like you said, right. like anytime you were like, oh my God, I'm going to get to see Bachwinkle fight this guy instead but it made of just us, talking about it. It made us feel big time to see the Winnipeg Arena full. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, and then there's the wrestlers. And then that was on CKND. I don't know. For me, it was like something special because I didn't go to see Jets games. So I never had that association of like, oh, on TV, I was there and I'm a part right, of that. Okay. Yeah, I got you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I think if we could magically produce a list of all the territories, even just in the 80s, let's say, you know, the amount of these sort of special shows, these themed shows, would be large. They would, you know, it would be a lengthy list, and there would be all these names and titles we've never heard of, and even in a, even in a territory that we were watching, actively watching, this just didn't really come across our plate. I would love it, you know, to jump in a time machine and go back and watch a couple of the weeks of our local TV show around this time to see where was the AWA sort of broadcasting this event to its national audience in a way, as far as like in their promos and talking about leading up to this big card in St. Paul, you know, Minneapolis, or, you know, Minnesota, pardon me. Metropolis. In St. Paul. <laughs> Minnesota, or was it not really a part of our interview run where, the, where you know, the, they tape those local promos for us and just sort of, yeah, don't worry about that, promote the Winnipeg card, you know? I so, feel that's how it had to be because yeah. I've never heard these two words together, Star Cage. Yeah. So my first thing when I came across it is I imagined in my head, I'm like, oh, it must be a series of cage matches or a special cage or like what would make this Star Cage? And then when I really got into looking at the card, I realized... It was just one cage match. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I didn't do any research into the buildup of Star Cage comparing yeah. it to WrestleMania. Um, did they have any celebrities? Uh, not that I can see. So just to fill you in, you know, there's not a lot of info out there that's just easily, you know, sourceable. People haven't written out long descriptions and reviews like some of, you know, like maybe a World Wrestling Federation history has. Uh, So you sort of have to piece it together. Now, the reason we even chose to go down this path is that I was shocked and surprised that I could find the three, the triple main event, the three main event matches were all available to watch online. And I was like, hey, wait a minute. So then I started searching for those undercard matches, and unfortunately, none of them came up. So I was unable to find any of them, which is too bad because there's a couple of matches, and we'll cover, we'll sort of go over what was the card at some point here. And I would have liked to have seen a few more of those matches. There's a couple I would have liked to have skipped anyway, so it's not too bad that they weren't on there. But, uh, you know, it just kind of gives you that idea that, like, okay, this happened. So because we don't have a full card, we don't have, like, you know, we don't have some pay-per-view, we don't have some three-hour event or something that we're covering. So much like we do a Saturday State event, we're like, okay, well, how did we get here? But in the case of the AWA, their storytelling is much different. It's a much longer-term, slower build. They really take their time. And you didn't really see things play out on TV the way you would in WWF. So really what we kind of did with what our selection was of what we're going to review today is we kind of just pulled back, uh, you know, the curtain about a month beforehand and kind of said, well, what was going on, you know, the weeks leading up? And we found some really interesting matches online again. And I was shocked at how much stuff there is. I'm just like flabbergasted how many different matches I was able to find online. Now, the quality of some of these matches isn't the greatest, the video, but your eyes adjust after a couple of minutes. And I was sort of drawn into this again and kind of, you know, really remembering, oh my God, this is like, you know, this is sort of the, the, the home stretch, the last, you know, the last year, last full year that we had AWA on our TV. So while I didn't see any of these matches, I like, it's so familiar because you were watching these performers do their weekly promos and build up and talk about matches they were going to have. And even some of the matches we found were from, you know, cards in Winnipeg. So we definitely would have watched promos for, you know, a couple of weeks leading up to those matches and kind of getting us excited about a card that we weren't going to go see. Well, we've got some matches to review for you. And 
I don't even know what's what. So uh, <laughs> uh, there are different cities and so uh, different dates. So I will leave all those details to Corey as far as when Star Cage actually occurred. But what we've got is eight matches for you that will give you a wonderful slice of life in the AWA in 1985. That's right. And it'll kind of expand to nine or ten because I kind of ended up with a bit more time. So I watched an extra match. And also we found something, this setup to one of the one of the main event matches that was so glorious and Jeff and I just just now in the last few minutes just before we started recording watched the important moments of it again and reminded ourselves of like oh my god I saw that on TV so we're going to we're going to begin and this is the interesting thing I can't find the date of this one it's easy enough to find the match but I can't find any evidence online of when it took place the best I could do was I found out where it was that was on a message board but there was not a lot enough information so the Star Cage event takes place April 21st 1985. So we're going to start with a correction segment right now. <laughs> in the closeout of last week's show, I said it was September 85. That was wrong. I was reading it wrong on some page. It listed it wrong. When I found all of my other information, it was uh, April. So we're kind of back to where we've begun. We're right kind of around that time of where Saturday night's main event is about to start. And we're going to flip that dial and go to another wrestling federation and see what, what they were doing. So we're going to see the AWA. So April 21st is when we're going to see this big card. But the lead-up matches are mostly from March. Near the end of March, there's some matches from Winnipeg, there's some matches from a couple of other locations, and they're going to kind of feature some of the performers and kind of help us to get us ready for that those, the big show that took place in St. Paul's. So as I mentioned, the setup will go over what the card was, okay? So we're not talking about the results, we're just talking about what Star Cage was. So on paper, this is what people were going to see. There's this triple main event. There's a cage match with Sergeant Slaughter and Jerry Blackwell, the you know, face Jerry Blackwell, against Sheik Anan LKC, King Tonga, I'm loving that, and they had listed it as a mystery a po- a partner, I believe. That's how it's listed on the online. It was not listed who it was. I'm assuming it was a secret and that they brought, you know, you found out the night of. In the co-main event, we've got the tag team champions, the Road Warriors, defending against Kurt and Larry the Axe Henning. And that's what's going to be really important and key in a minute, and we're going to get back to that. The third of these triple main events is the Gagnés. we got (laughs) Greg and Vern Gagné in a tag team match versus Nick Bonkwinkle and Mr. Saido. So that's great. That's kind of like the remnants of the Heenan family. You know, it's kind of like there's a little bit left there. The the manager's gone, but the, uh, the stable remains. So the rest of the matches, which we don't have, you know footage of and we're not going to spend too much time talking about we'll just throw them out there it's really interesting when i look at it every single match on this card is a tag team match so the next match is bob backland and brad rangan so a real wrestling heavy team against the living legend larry sabisco and butch reed i really would have liked to have seen that match that sounds like you know pretty neat kind of like uh bringing together of wrestlers i'd never would have thought would have fought each other uh the next match is baron von raschke and buck zumoff boo versus Jimmy Garvin and Mr. Electricity, Steve Regal. I remember him well. Yes. So then there's another match. It's Jim Brunzel and the Tonga Kid versus Billy Robinson and Bobby Duncan. And I think that, you know, Tonga Kid being with Jim Brunzel, that makes me think of Highlander. Ah, I um, would have to review. Because <laughs> well, they, they were together in that match at the beginning of Highlander. Ah. Yes. And then the opening match was Steve Olsonowski and a young Tom Zink. Versus the Alaskans. 
The Alaskans, I have, yep, drawn a blank. We're going to talk about them in the second half. We'll get some better information. I remember them, but not enough to really talk about them. So we'll 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 dig some stuff up and uh, and no, flush no, that out better. No rock and wrestling. <laughs> no. So that takes place at the St. Paul Civic Center, and there's twelve thousand fans in attendance when we when we get there. So it's a huge crowd, a great show for them. So this idea that the AWA is dead in 1985 after Hogan leaves, it's false. <laughs> They're doing. Good business. Big yeah, business. Right, yeah. It's exciting matches. Top top talent. Right. So I want we want to start with this situation that happens. It's, it's one of the crazier things you're gonna see in wrestling. So it takes place at the Hammond Civic Center in northwest Indiana. That's just outside of Chicago. I've seen it listed as being a 1984 match. I've seen it being listed as a 1985 match. Couldn't figure it out. If anyone listening knows, please email us at legendarywrestlingobsession at gmail.com. And uh, let us know, because I would love to uh, kind of piece this together. So there's a tag team match. It's Kurt Henning and Baron Von Raschke versus the Road Warriors. And so I didn't really, I don't want to focus on the match. You know, it's about a 13-minute file. There's probably about seven, eight, nine minutes of a match going on. And we get near the end of the match, and Kurt Henning's having a, you know, he's, he hits Animal off the second rope with some kind of drop kick, and he does another move. And then he does this spot where he charges at Animal and dives at him, and Atma moves out of the way, and Kurt Henning does what people in the business will refer to as the hangman. So this is sort of the, the McFoley cactus jack move where you sort of tie your own head up in the ropes. You grab the middle rope and the top rope, and you go over the top and twist those ropes. So now you look like you're just completely tied up and hung hung in these ropes and look like you're about to be decapitated. And in a certain fictional movie, it leads to decapitation. decapitation. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Body slam. Uh, yeah, we believe that's what it's called. We'll, we'll get back to that one of these days. So that leads us to this crazy scene. The, the crowd goes nuts. So the Road Warriors are beating on Kurt Henning. They they double team. Like the Baron comes in with a claw, but the, they double team him and throw him out. So Larry the Axe Heading happens to be at ringside on commentary. So he's there to try and help out his son. So the Road Warriors are beating on Kurt and they're going to draw blood, or at least blood was drawn. Yeah, uh, it's probably the most obvious blading I've ever seen in all my years of watching wrestling. And uh, Hawk has a chair, and I think he was probably supposed to cover Kurt with the chair from the TV uh, because after Kurt blades, then Hawk hides his face from the, you know, <laughs> yeah. puts the chair between uh, Mr. Perfect, who's not Mr. Perfect yet, yeah. and the TV. But um, anyway, so yeah, Kurt very obviously blades and Hawk he, is late with he, the block. He digs deep and that blood flows. He's really, he's really bleeding. So Larry the Axe Henning tries to get in and the road warriors keep beating him out and they won't let him in. They keep beating him off the apron, knocking him down. Eventually he tries to come in with a chair but they take that chair away from him <laughs> and they beat Kurt up with it. And that's when that blading happens. So finally the heroes, Baron and uh, Larry finally get in the ring. They use the chair quite ineffectively, but they, they chase the road warriors off and they get Kurt out. And there's this really great sort of scene that the, the ring announcers are at ringside, sort of on the camera side, their backs to the camera, right, you know, butted up against the ring. So the, their mics are picking up Larry Henning, who's sort of over top of his fallen son, who's now been let out of the ropes, but is like bleeding on the ground and he's screaming for a doctor. And right around that time, there's a crazy commotion and the camera swings over and you, you can see how big this place is. Like, you know, there's a lot of fans there. This isn't some, you know, 1000 seat, you know, community center or school or something like that. It's a big place. And the road warriors on their way back to the dressing rooms 
are essentially fighting the entire audience. There is like a commotion of like tons of people seem to be charging at them. Someone throws a chair at Hawk. It looks like animals stomping on somebody. Like it just, things are getting out of hand. Yeah, a very scary moment. There's not a proper barricade protecting the performers from the audience. And the heat that they got from beating up Kurt Henning in the ring was so amazing that the the crowd lost their emotional control. And the Road Warriors were attacked on their way back to the dressing room. And if one, the wrestlers don't appreciate one thing, it's, uh, you know, being threatened or being in harm's way. So Animal, yeah definitely looks like he's throwing some pretty stiff punches or it's hard yeah, to see what's going they're, on they're not holding back they're definitely like you know they're looking to like get back people off <laughs> you know you're gonna come mess with us you're gonna get it and i think that like you know there's examples of those types of things happening in other wrestling cards but i mean i think this one's like one of the most sort of stark like oh my god that could have really got out of hand you do see some cops show up and drag this one young guy away and he yeah. just the one guy is you know it looks so indignant like what are you bugging me what are you they're the guys that we did the thing <laughs> with you yes. arrest them <laughs> <laughs> that's right <laughs> i'm on your side deputize me <laughs> give me a badge we got to stop these road warriors lock them up <laughs> uh, yeah i was really funny because like the standoff between that guy and somebody in a white shirt and then somebody in a blue shirt like different department comes over and he's just not having it he takes the civilian and just like you're done mister (laughs) (laughs) and you think that guy probably gonna have a bad evening from there yeah so i i think you know it's obviously this sets up this match it's star cage you know and there's there's it's this is it's not just this and then straight to star cage there's things that happen in between but it's the thing that really stood out like both jeff and i saw that and we're like oh yeah we we remember that well like, mostly what i remember is the promo hawk cut on tv after the fact so i'm not sure that i actually saw what i saw except for i can remember this and what about the ex? He brought that chair in the ring. What's he so hot about? <laughs> That's right. I, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just remember seeing Kurt tied up in the ropes. You know, yeah. like I remember seeing him, his head caught in the ropes that way. And again, like, you know, my memory would be wrong. If you'd asked me what that match was, I would have went, oh, it was Kurt Henning and Larry the Axe Henning versus the Road Warriors, which, you know, it wasn't. But I mean, I obviously I was pretty close. <laughs> Larry yeah. was involved and it was all very close. But it was just that, you know, I never saw the match. I just saw the highlights. I'm sure they must have on All-Star Wrestling or what we called Major League Wrestling Canada by that point. Uh, you know, they would have shown us clips of poor Kurt Henning <laughs> you know, looking like he's going to die. In these yeah, ropes. he never takes that kind of a beating, you know, when we see him enter his you know, full, fully developed persona, which, of course, is Mr. Perfect. That's right, yes. So it, it was just really, you know, great to sort of stumble across and kind of figure out and tie this together to go like, oh, wow, I randomly picked this, you know, let's call it super card to cover, and this is tied to it, this memory? Like, it was, so that was really a good fluke and a nice find. Star Cage, you know, they didn't breathe one word of that on the Winnipeg TV. They couldn't have. We no. would have heard of it. I don't think so, yeah. I mean, because I, I remember what Hawk said there. I, I don't remember him saying anything about Star Cage is working on Gabby Blair. Take care of <laughs> I wonder what uh, I wonder what Dusty thought about them calling a show Star Cage. I bet you he didn't like that because he came up with the name Starcade. Right, yeah, that's uh, definitely <laughs> a, little, a, little, a little too close <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Vern's like, well, we only got one R and R star, so it's you know it's <laughs> a little different. <laughs> oh, Vern, I got a story about Vern later. Okay, so we're gonna cover some matches. So, and bear with us because you know 
I looked at what was available and I'm like, screw it. I'm going to pick the ones that I want us to see, even if they're not 100% related to the card that's coming up. So on our way to getting to Starcage, the Road Warriors got another feud going on, and that's with the High Flyers. So this is sort of the last stretch of the High Flyers before Jim Brunzel's going to you know, hit the bricks for the WWF. So this is sort of our last one of our last stretch of months that he's in the AWA, so we want to take advantage of that. And another thing is we, you know, He's not on the card. Our heavyweight champion, Rick Martell, I was like, screw it. I want to see a Rick Martell title defense. And I've had, damn, did I find a good one. I'm uh, really happy with it. It's, so Martell wasn't on the Star Cage card? No, he's not. He's not on the uh, on the list. I actually see that they ran two two shows that night. Really? Unless one, one of them may have been a matinee, but there's two. There might have been a, maybe a matinee TV taping or something, but there's, there's, there's two different April 21st AWA cards. In St. Paul. I, you know, I forgot to look at what, where the second one was. Probably in the same location. I don't think they were really, you know, set up to be running, you know, or at least the, the second card wouldn't have had any television or whatever. Yeah, the old Twin Cities there, Minneapolis and St. Paul. Uh, makes me wonder about the details, whether they would wrestle, you know, once for both the Twin Cities, you know, because <laughs> you get kind of assume that because uh, they're actually in different states. Well, you know, the way the territories, you know, at times were running, you know, weekly shows. I, you know, we were getting a monthly show in Winnipeg, so I wouldn't be surprised if the, you know, Minneapolis area had more of a, you know, let's say bi-monthly or even weekly show. Like, it just depends, right? I mean, they were running their circuit, so they had to send people all over the place. But I think if we went and looked at all the stats, you know, all the different shows for, let's say, a couple of months, we might be able to count and realize, oh, there's more shows you know, let's say in Minneapolis and St. Paul's than there is anywhere else. You know, it would make sense because it's their home base. So one of the first things we came across is just it was an interview of, from the High Flyers. And it's basically them going on a rant on Paul Ellering. I watched it. So it's pretty funny. Uh, so you come in and it's backstage. It's uh, Ken Resnick is with the, with the High Flyers. And Greg's got a bandage on his head. So he looks like he's, <laughs> he's taking a beating. And you realize that this interview is supposed to have taken place after a match, after a Road Warriors, Road Warriors match where Paul Ellering has interfered in the match between the two and cost the High Flyers the Tag Team Championship. Oh, ah, that's really interesting. I had forgotten uh, the lineage. You know, I knew that, um, you know, for me, the classic stuff was the High Flyers versus Jesse and Adrian Adonis, but then the years... Go by. And, That's right. Uh, they're, yeah. You know, they're gone. And now, I mean, the Road Warriors are more than worthy replacement, obviously. <laughs> but I didn't get to see the actual clash. You know, it was, I mostly just saw Bill, right? That's, that's really <laughs> a shout out to Ron Moore and the right. Manitoba Money Shot because he recently focused on the High Flyers. Yeah, I was unclear. I think this match we have coming up is the one he was talking about, but it might have been one a month or two beforehand. I'm not sure. The the picture of the image of Hawk press slamming Greg Gagne looked exactly the same, so I think it's the same, but, uh, you know, you never know. (laughs) So uh, one of the funny things is that it comes, it kind of starts, the interview's kind of a little bit scrambled. You kind of come in mid-sentence, and I don't know who Greg Gagne's talking about. He may even be talking to Ken Resnick, but he's like, he says, what the hell do you know about wrestling? <laughs> so he goes off about how they had the Road Warriors beat twice and, uh, you know, interference from Paul Ellering. And, he's, and, you know, really funny. He calls him a little weasel. Like, so for Greg Gagne to call somebody a little weasel, like, you know, Paul Ellering's not the tallest guy, but if you go check his chest and his shoulders and his biceps and triceps, you'll see that they're much, much larger than Greg's. So it's really quite yeah. silly for Greg Gagne to be calling him, you know, a little weasel. That's right. 
Precious Paul, when he would get in the ring, he was buff. That's right. Yeah, and he was a wrestler before you know before he was a manager and stuff. So, so he really talks about taking pride in wrestling, and and he asked Wally Carbo to sign a cage match to you know help keep Paul Ellering out and and uh, all this stuff. So he, you know, Greg says you know oh yeah they're big they're they're big and and Jim's just sitting there like he hasn't said a word. It's just all Greg Ganya the whole time, and he's like we may not look like much, but we're you know we we focus on wrestling and we're you know we're wrestlers and they're just bodybuilders and you know we're gonna are we're gonna make them tired and their arms you know they're not gonna be able to move their arms once they get to the fifteen minute mark. His whole plan of like how is he gonna deal with you know these these strong men and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, we may not look like much, but, you know, we're the best in the business kind of thing. So he just and then he just leaves. <laughs> but Jim stays and does his own interview for, you know, not, not not nearly as long, but it's pretty funny. So then so then all of a sudden Jim, who looks quite bored during the first half of the interview segment, all of a sudden he fires up and is, you know, gets animated and is ready to go. And, and he just basically says, like, you know, this is gonna be something Winnipeg has never seen before. And he promises, you know, that the High Flyers are going to do it. And Ken Resnick tells you that March 24th match, you won't want to miss. And, uh, that, you know, that's the end of the file. And it was just, yeah, it was just neat. Like Jeff said, like, we kind of didn't get to see the, you know, my memories of the Road Wars and the AWA were fighting other teams. It was sort of like they, you know, they, I didn't get to see them wrestle the, the High Flyers. I probably did see clips or something, but it just, it didn't stick the way some of those other feuds did. You know, their, their feuds, in my mind, are with other teams, not with the High Flyers. But as we're learning, you know, they had a pretty important feud with the High Flyers. Okay, so that's going to take us to a card on March 7th, and Jeff watched a match between Sergeant Slaughter and King Tonga? Yeah. Well, now I know uh, the order of things, so this is building for the big three-on-two at Star Cage. Yes. Okay, so uh, this happens beforehand, and it's all about... The Adnan al family, or army. He calls it the army, you know. <laughs> Heenan's got the Heenan family, and Sheik's got his army. I didn't realize how gold his promos are, uh, Sheik is, <laughs> you know, because I, um, as you were talking about the uh, Greg Gagne promo, I found it to be very, you know, not very theatrical, kind of boring. Uh, you no, saw a yeah, fun she, one, I guess. Yeah. The one that I watched was... He was more animated. Yeah, he, he normally is kind of, uh, what do you call it, um, understated, you know, like he's... Matter of fact, all business. Drop my glasses. <laughs> well, here, let me step on them. <laughs> you son of, you step on my glasses. I give you a holler. Yes, yes. Okay, so where I watched that one last, but it turns out it was it happened first, or certainly before Star Cage, because first thing I watched was Star Cage. Um, in which, in which uh, Slaughter and Tonga are in. And I think to be fair, like, and this is something that I kind of got from the AWA about the booking, and Stan Hansen talked about this, is that they didn't really tie things together. Things didn't really lead from one thing to the next. Like he said, he would just show up and there would be the booking sheet and it's just like all the names would be there and they would just sort of randomly fill in the opponents. And he kind of was always like, oh, let me do this. Let me go out and attack this guy or do this. And they never wanted to, they always wanted to hold that. They always wanted to save that. Like only, we only do a couple of big angles a year. We don't, we're not going to do too much. And he was always frustrated with that. And so that's why I think that like when I looked at these cards, I'm looking at the different cities and the different shows and there's a lot of rotation of who's fighting who, but I don't know if there's like the sort of thought about like how this builds to something. I think it's more just like, hey, let's just have this person fight this person and have this person fight this person. Hmm. So, well, okay. So the angle here is um, Sergeant Slaughter has been enlisted by Jerry Blackwell to uh, help him fight the Al KC army. So 
Blackwell used to be good buddies with Adnan Al KC. Blackwell actually used to wear the whole chic outfit, the, <laughs> right. the Arab headdress. I mean, the, even yeah. Patera was in there for a while uh, as part of the chic chic army. At one point, it was like Jerry Blackwell and Ken Patera with their their chic outfits on. <laughs> yeah, and of course, uh, Blackwell is now a face, so that usually happens when uh, another heel turns on you. That's how a heel That's becomes. Right. You know, you need two heels to make one face. <laughs> <laughs> So a heel turns on a heel, and then you get yourself a face, and then Jerry Blackwell, uh, the crowd did love him, you know, and I was watching around this time, that's obvious. So I don't remember Sergeant Slaughter that much from the TV, to be honest. This didn't ring uh, as clear a bell as the stuff with the uh, the Hennings and the Road Warriors. However, so... I think the promos before were quite funny. These these oh, files come uh, in and they there's a little bit of a... They, they have interviews. It's, there's a 10-minute clip. Yeah. Half of it is promo. Yeah. And uh, so Sergeant Slaughter's laying out how he's... Every time he turns around, you know, there's another soldier from the KC army, you know, attacking him on his back. And he's like, one by one, we're going to eliminate them until we can get down to you, Sheik Adnan, and then we'll, you know, finally be rid of your menace and your troublemaking. So, um, Sergeant Slaughter, you know, uh, it was a fine promo, but Sheik Adnan Al-KC's promo was hilarious. Yeah. Like some wrestlers really need a hand when it comes to the entertainment uh, of, of the microphone. And King Tonga is is one of those guys that doesn't speak too well. So yeah, he, he really sure. needs some help. And Sheik, uh, man, he's fantastic. It's a long one. So the, the, um, the, the pace of it kind of like it does have almost like it, it – it's a peak, but then they they're only halfway through, so they got to calm it down and then really get back to a fever pitch. But um, it's great because with the length of it, it's almost like Barbara Walters investigates. They d- dive deep, you know. The, now, what's the name of this guy? This interviewer is not Nene Gene. He's got the beard. I, I, I'm assuming. Oh, that was Larry Nelson. Larry Nelson. Okay. Anyway, so uh, I love it. With the first question, she can she Gadnon's like. Are you writing a book? What do you care? <laughs> None of your business. You just stick your... You know. <laughs> it's so fucking brilliant, she got done. So he, he goes on to say, you know, that uh, he's got all these generals in his army. Right. You know, they're all generals. And he's um, he had King Kong Brody earlier a year or so because uh, Greg Gagne makes reference to getting injured by Brody. That's right. But uh, he's not around at the, this point. So... King Tonga does make an appearance and he starts doing his, you know, karate chops, you know, but he does his, he kind of hooks his fingers and looks like, you know, his kicks and punches are coming with these, his, his fingers look like they're going to claw you. That's right, claws, yeah. Yeah. And uh, she builds it to a fever pitch. He's like, show them, show them. And then like, so King Tonga starts to like snarling and thrusting and chopping. And he's like, (laughs) yes, 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 yes. And, uh, but then he's like, they realize they got more time. So he's like, that's enough. That's enough. That's enough. That's enough. That's too much. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, what else does, uh, the, that guy, what'd you say his name was? Larry Nelson. Larry Nelson asks some very astute questions. Like, why do you keep interfering? (laughs) You know, and uh, stuff like, I tell him what to do. Oh, that's right. He's like, why why do do, do you even need to go to the ring? Why don't you tell him beforehand? (laughs) I need to tell him what to do. You just tell him beforehand. No, no, no. He's like, I tell him beforehand and during the match. Yeah, he's just trying to like. (laughs) I can't remember another one. Like, he keeps probing him. He's like, well, what what about this? He goes, I take a pride what I do. Ganya, you know, Blackwell, you fat slob. So I just loved it. Made me laugh out loud three times. And uh, Sheik Adnan Al Casey, he was just fucking great. Yeah. 
So then you get your entrances. And the one, one thing you missed on the slaughter is when he's ending his interview, he mocks King Tonga by oh, doing the, oh, the yeah. kicks and chops. It's oh, kind I of fun. It's, kind of, it's just silly. Like, it's just, you know, it's it's weird. It's, it's it's something I hadn't really seen slaughter kind of, you know, act up in that way kind of thing before. It was pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. Well, the first thing he does is call him an Oriental. You oh, know? yeah. So the whole, you know, his whole promo problematic. <laughs> You know, kind of like making fun of the karate chops and like, I don't really care. I think people are a little oversensitive, but, uh, you know, I had noted nothing to note here. <laughs> sort of, sort of. Yeah, thing. yeah. But yeah, that's right. He, he does like, I've trained all my men to kill all my life. I know how to deal with you martial arts types. You don't scare me. <laughs> so um, Sarge gets the music. And he does a lot of face work on his way to the crowd. He's not just shaking hands. He's hugging and saluting. He's like taking his time. <laughs> he's really playing this major face. And in the ring is is his opponent and his manager is an R. R is. Anyway, so King Tonga and Sheik Adnan are waiting in the ring. And uh, once all that nice, social, pleasant, humanitarian fan connection work is done, babyface perfection he gets in the ring and turns into a maniac cheating machine heel (laughs) he just likes a complete 180 he attacks shigadnon before the bell that's right and within two minutes he you know abandons the rules so we get some you know but there's some good action before that happens uh king tonga lands a beautiful drop kick that really looks like it like when that when he extends you know, it looks like his he clips him on the jaw, like yeah, it, it, yeah. like it, some great work. And Ting, King Tonga is phenomenally strong. Kim Tonga, phenomenally strong. You'll see a lot of shoot stuff about he is. Uh, it, I guess it's disputed, but you know, the toughest wrestler. You know, a lot of people will say he's the one you don't mess with. If you're interested in that kind That's of right. like yeah. backstage behavior, you can find lots of people will say that he later became Haku, later became Meng, but right now he's King Tonga, and he looks leaner than. I think oh, really. definitely, yeah. This, he, uh, yeah. By the time he be late in the Haku, later in the Haku run, when he's with Heenan as a singles wrestler, that's when he starts to bulk up. And then somehow, as he's Ming, he seems like he gains about sixty pounds or something, and he just he seems bigger, like taller too. It's like I think it's the hair. His, his hair just gets crazy, yeah. like tall. And yeah, he just he goes from being like you know a heavyweight wrestler to like a super heavyweight. <laughs> he does. So uh, it's about two minutes of like some good action, no rest holds, uh, yeah. and uh, both people get their licks in. Char- you know, Sarge does take some good damage. Yeah, and, sorry, and apologies if you're coming up to this, but Sarge has this one spot he does excellent, and he does it in this match. And so when Tonga goes to ram his head into the post into the turnbuckle but Sarge always takes it where he goes over the turnbuckle and hits the post itself and it just looks so devastating like he looks like he just kills him yeah so it's a short match because after um a back and forth Sarge takes off his uh back support belt and starts strapping King Tonga <laughs> exactly. and he's just strapping him and the war referee saying hey hey and then Sarge straps the ref that's <laughs> he, right he gives the ref, a, the ref a whack with the belt and you're like oh okay that's it but no the the match continues yeah and then Sarge climbs to the top rope and comes up well, with he the also clotheslines him with that rope uh, like he, he whips Tonga off the ropes and gives him a gives him like a two-handed clothesline but with the belt you know right and then so he gets disqualified because in the AWA, you cannot come off the top rope. So he should have been disqualified for hitting the ref. If not, you know, for the, he should have been <laughs> what the referee says, disqualified for multiple of the announcer, disqualified <laughs> for multiple right. reasons. 
Um, <laughs> but I mean, there's still more action after he, the Rip Marie disqualifies him for coming off the top rope. Sarge still wants to get at Tonga and there's fighting and like, he goes out of the ring, back in the ring. But Sarge hip tosses the ref. He, he, the ref is pretty tough because he takes an actual bump. You know, some refs will take a hit and they're like really sell how injured they are. This guy is probably a wrestler because he's up within about 30 seconds and trying to get control of the situation again. And uh, the last thing I think we see is the Sergeant Slaughter still menacing the referee like he's going to give him one more belt. And so a 10-minute video, half of it is promos, two minutes of wrestling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the cheating begins. Before That's the right. Yeah, disqualification, che- cheating, cheating everywhere. And the one kind of interesting thing is that, like, as this video, this match starts, Larry Nelson is on commentary. So that's the bearded fellow who was doing the interviews before the match. And then in the ring, you've got Ken Resnick as the ring announcer. But then very quickly, he'll come and join Larry Nelson. So you, you know, you end up with two people doing commentary, not just one. And that's more often than not, that's pretty weak. Uh, having the single commentary uh, person by themselves. So it's good that they got both guys. And uh, it's, it's. I've got some, you know. They say some pretty silly stuff, and especially as the AWA sort of trends in the wrong direction, they double down on, this is the major leagues, this is the greatest, this is the, you know, the most important belt, and it's like, you know, when they're wrestling in front of like 50 people, it's like they're still, (laughs) they're still talking like it's 1983. (laughs) Right. Well, the one last thing that I remember from the match is Sarge climbs up on the rope and he's berating the bad guys as they're heading to the dressing room. And he's like, I hate you! Canada hates you! <laughs> so there's a... Uh, did we say where where this match took place? I'm Must gonna have... lay that out in the second half. I have that, but I don't have it in front of me. I know where the rest of the matches are. This one's somewhere in the States. It's, uh, you know, mm. it could be Chicago. It could be... There's a few different it's places it could be. It sounds like he says Canada hates you. Yeah, maybe. Jeez, maybe maybe it is a. Uh, but it didn't. Uh, I didn't write that one down. So, but I, I do know I have the info. So we'll uh, we'll kind of clear up where these cards took place in the second half. Okay, so that's going to take us to we we're gonna you know we we had some other matches that we were going to maybe look at, but we just didn't have time. Uh, you know, there was a, a road road wars with Ellering versus the High Flyers with the Crusher. So that was a match we didn't have time to you know go watch. So it was a six man tag. Yeah, the kinda. crusher. He also six man tagged with the fabulous. That's ones. right. Yeah, he's. A, he, I think he's at that stage of his career in eighty four, eighty five, where he's not doing a ton of his own wrestling. He's getting involved as sort of being a corner man, being like the extra tag team partner, the six man tag, that kind of stuff. They're still trying to bring him out to pop houses because he's like this big name for them. But yeah, he's he's kind of you know. Uh, you know, winding things down. Uh, there was a match on March 27th, Road Warriors versus Rick Martel and Dino Bravo that took place in Quebec. So we may, we may find an excuse to kind of swing back to that one one of these days because that sounds yeah. pretty neat. And and then also um, there's a match on the uh, Winnipeg card, which is March 28th, which is where we're going to land now, which is we're going to review three matches from that card. One of them that we're not going to review was Baron Von Raschke versus Jimmy Garvin. So Precious would have been spraying her stuff and doing her thing. Very colorful characters, both of those guys. <laughs> the goose-stepping Baron and the glittery, bouncy curls of gorgeous Jimmy Garvin. <laughs> okay, so what we're going to talk about now is a singles match between Kurt Henning and Mr. Saito. So again, what I found as I was watching these is these clips are coming through TSN. And this is kind of blowing my mind, but I think today I kind of like reconciled in my head what was going on. So... I had TSN in 84. I did not see this stuff. I do not believe that I was not able to figure out that AWA was showing quality matches on TSN at the same time that I was only watching my weekly squash match. I don't believe that. I was, you know, I was all over the place looking for anything I could find. So what I'm going to assume is, is that at some point TSN 
later on, you know, let's say years down the road, started re-showing ESPN, you know, matches on TSN, but old stuff, you know, like re-showing older stuff. That's what that's what I have to believe, because because it, if it's the other, if it's not true, if the, if these matches were on, then you know, I just feel like such a fool. <laughs> yeah, I, I I didn't even have TSN, and I've been wondering how did I miss all these, uh, or wait, I, I'm talking about Stampede. Yeah, because I that too. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but I was watching Stampede. On good TSN. to know that I. It's better to know that you didn't miss out. You just, you know, it's a a bad feeling to think I could have had this if only I'd known. <laughs> okay, so the way these clips work out is they usually show you an interview from either before the match or even sometimes the week before, and then it's edited together so that it streams and seams right into the match. So um, we get Larry N- Nelson interviewing a young babyface Kurt Henning. And he seems like he's new to the territory, but as I look into the you know records, he was there in 84 and stuff, so, you know, part of 84. So he's been around for a while, but they're still kind of treating him as if he's like the hot new baby face. And so Kurt's talking about how it's good to be all across Canada and how uh, they mention how he's been, uh, he was the Pacific North champion for almost a year. And that uh, he talks about how fans in Alberta and British Columbia would have been familiar with him from the matches he was doing through promotions in the States over on the West Coast. And so it's kind of interesting to sort of even acknowledge that there's wrestling outside of the AWA because territories often would not acknowledge outside of their own, you know, their own walls. There's us and there's nobody. So then for some reason, Larry Nelson asks him about the Rick Martel Bockwinkel championship match that's coming up on this card. And uh, he, he says that uh, he, he it's hard to choose, but he's going to go with Rick Martel as the younger man, the better athlete, and, uh, you know, that, that, that Bockwinkel's had his day. So he bets he's, he's betting on Rick. So we get out to ringside, and, uh, and now we can see that Ken Resnick is the ring announcer and the wrestlers in the ring. Our man Buddy Lane is the referee. <laughs> ah, good old Buddy Lane. Yeah, yeah. And you can hear Larry on commentary. So... Inside was in the ring and Kurt's in the ring and uh, they get going. So the beginning of this match is kind of interesting because, you know, there's a there's a severe power disparity here. Like Said was like this bull, you know, of a man. He's short, but he's very stocky, very thick chest, shoulders, you know, like he's big. Not like, a you know, not a big bodybuilder, but just big and thick and powerful. And Kurt hasn't filled out yet. So he's, you know, he's no great Ganya, but he's also not like a, you know, a heavyweight wrestler. And so... You know, they're starting off with a lot of like holds and reversals and Mr. Saito's like being very clean. So they there's several clean breaks and Mr. Saito is <laughs> getting mad at the fans because they're like, you know, they're yeah, you can hear you can sometimes hear the fans yelling at him. So he'll turn and like, you know, like lean through the ropes and he'll be arguing with the fans. So Kurt comes up behind him while he's doing this and gives him a little taunting slap double slap on the back. Like in, instead of attacking him or anything, he just kinda like, you know, you know, tauntingly gives him a little slap and stuff like that. So they you know they get back into like into the into the ring and they're kind of matching each other move for move and counter nothing's really taking place yet and Saito like again backs Kurt in the in the ropes clean break bows and he wants to shake his hand and Kurt won't shake his hand and this happens a few times so this keeps happening Saito keeps offering his hand and Kurt keeps not taking it Uh-oh. and so we're a few minutes into the match and finally Kurt after like several clean breaks and several offers Kurt finally accepts <laughs> and aha oh, oh no Saito gets him <laughs> so yeah so he, he you know he, he gets the advantage on on Saito and uh, pardon me on Kurt and takes him down for a bit but Kurt comes back with three quick arm drags 
and they're really fast. Like he's just he's able to like it's defying gravity how quick he can you know hit the mat and stand up. It's it's really impressive. And so uh, Saito's using things like his judo. You know he has like judo throws he does. They're kind of like hip tosses, but they look a bit different because he uses his hip and his thigh more and stuff. It's you know pretty neat. And Kurt's doing some great screaming at points where he's you know getting attacked and stuff like that. That's really funny, and I, I just love that. At one point, Kurt does one of those. I rakes where like the opponents on the ground and you like kind of step on their face, you know, like with your boot, you kind of jump in the air and right, kind of like, like putting out a cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, except for both feet at the same time. So it's like, oh. you know, yeah. And <laughs> it takes a lot of balance to not hurt. Exactly. You. Yeah. Like he's barely touching the guy, you know, he's yeah. like super light foot with it. But Larry Nelson's like, he's, he's, he says skin off the forehead when Kurt does that. You know, he's like, as if he's like, as if Saito's losing skin here. <laughs> and uh, another great one is there's, there's a whip into the corner and there's a big, it makes a big noise. <laughs> And he says, oh, the ring jumped a foot off the ground. <laughs> nice. I love it when they try to like, you know, the idea that like, it's so hard that the ring moved. <laughs> it's super funny. So at this point, they mentioned the, Winni- they, they mention, uh, the Winnipeg Jets. They talk about the, the arena and like the, the flooring that's down and the hard flooring and because the Winnipeg Jets play there. So that's kind of a neat, as, you know, again, as Jeff alluded to, you know, it's kind of cool if your hometown hockey team's getting mentioned on your wrestling show, these two things coming together. So that's pretty cool. So finally, Kurt, Kurt is able to... Uh, uh, trip Saito. He's trying to get back into the ring at one point. He's been trapped on the outside, and Saito keeps knocking him off the apron. So he's able to trip Saito from the outside and uh, pull him into the corner and give him the old, uh, you know, the old wishbone on the on on the corner, which nobody wants that. And he gets back in the ring and he's working the leg and the spinning told is super funny because like you know him and. Brunzel and Ganya, they all kind of do it the same way at this point where they kind of like they're really quickly like going around in a circle and then let go and then go around in a circle and let go and then go around in a circle as if they've somehow like, you know, triple wrench the leg. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Three rotations. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Kirk goes for a Boston Crab, but Saito is able to crawl to the rope and Larry Larry makes the weirdest comment. He says, I'm not from the Valley of California, but that was an awesome display of strength. I'm just like, I don't understand what that means. Um, I don't know. Maybe um, Muscle Beach is a place in California, (laughs) maybe? Like, uh, just that whole surfer beach bodybuilder thing? Yeah, yeah. So there's a spot where Kurt sets up a suplex, but they're standing at an angle where you can tell the person who's going to do the suplex is not going to be successful. Like, they don't have any leverage, and it's not going to happen, especially with Saito. But then, to my surprise, he does it. Like, he does go up for the suplex. I was, like, expecting a reversal, but but Saito goes up. But what he does is he hits the mat, he bounces, and he kind of uses that momentum to stand back up, and they both stand up almost at the same time, and Kurt, you know, sells it well. Like, he doesn't realize it. So now Saito's behind him and beside him. And aha, the Saito suplex. Uh-oh, look out. Not one of the best ones, but it's the first time I've seen it in a long time, so that was that was fun. And so there's uh, Kurtz with some, you know, early signs of his great selling on these chops and stuff that he's taking from him, and he's just really, you know, getting knocked around, turnbuckle whips, and he catches Saito with a sunset flip in the corner for two, and Buddy Lane breaks up uh, Kurt's punches in the corner and Saito throat thrusts him. So basically, Kurt's got the advantage. Buddy Lane steps in and be like, no, no, don't, you know, don't use the closed fist. And Saito uses that moment to, like, nail him with, like, sort of a karate chop to the throat, which looks really devastating. And Kurt's down flat right in the corner by the ropes. And Saito does that flat press where he's sort of like, you know, they're, it's as if they're laying, you know, face to face to face. <laughs> and gets his feet up on the ropes uh-huh. with the leverage and the one, two, three... A rookie, Kurt Henning, yeah. does the job for Mr. Saito, the veteran. Well, don't worry, Kurt. There's plenty of great shit coming. <laughs> and this was the first of the clips that I watched. And this was the moment where I actually got to see the TSN thing come up. And I was like, okay, this is TSN. And that's when my mind started, you know, wandering to like, 
why didn't I see this? Those lucky bastards. <laughs> um, that's all must have been how I saw Terry Gordy versus Rick Martel. Yeah, like that 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 match we talked about in a different show, uh, Rick Martel versus Terry Gordy, you know, on the ESPN Championship Wrestling, which aired at some point eventually on TSN. So that's, you know, that's where those matches are. And now they all exist on the internet. There's a lot on the WWE network. Uh, I didn't really dig deep, but I saw the uh, logo and didn't have time to go and... Yeah, I, I was. There wasn't as much stuff um, for AWA on WWE Network as I had hoped. There's a lot of single matches. There's not a bunch of cards. I mean, there's some couple of big ones. There's the, you know some of their Super Clash stuff and Super Sunday, of course. But there isn't a ton of like syndicated shows and things like that. But as I was saying, as I was looking for material for this, uh, I was shocked to how much stuff is coming up. And that was just in March and April of 1985. I can only imagine how much more I can find if I go looking. Yeah, at the time I didn't really uh it, it's it's interesting to think that we were watching Saturday night's main event and at the same time uh we were watching, you know, the AWA aftermath of the bloody Kurt Henning neck caught up in the rope and that they were all at the same time. I pretty much, yeah, very similar timeline, yeah, like yeah. within months of each other, yeah. It didn't seem like it. it seemed like they were separated. As a, yeah. when I look back, it seemed like there was my AWA yes period, and then there and then then and then there was a WWF period. This is brief overlap, and then yeah, and then we're off in a different direction. But yeah, it's definitely a different style of wrestling. It's a different presentation. Um, it's much more like a lot of the other territories that are out there. AWA was sort of unique, even compared to those ones, because the other ones, you know, even were probably had more showmanship and more sort of you know. Out, out of the ring act, act antics and more characters and stuff like that. And AW was really all about like, you know, hey, let's get in the ring and show our wrestling skills, our, our chops. Okay, on to the next match. I'm not from the uh, Valley in California, but that was an awesome display of power from Mr. Saido. Kurt Henning back in control. Okay, so we're not going anywhere location-wise. We're still in Winnipeg, and and now we're going to see the beloved High Flyers, the team of the 70s, take on the Road Warriors, the team of the 80s and the 90s. And the 2000s? No, I wish. Petered out in the 90s. Yeah, especially if you Google Road Warriors 2000, you're not going to like what you see. Anyway, this is them at their peak which lasts a long time yeah and it's great because we have the high flyers challenging for the world tag team championship which they held on how many times have they held they were two-time awa tag team champions right okay so they really as we've mentioned before when i came into it it sort of felt like the high flyers were the hottest thing and, yeah. and they and I have heard them talk about you know the kind of like that rock and roll express excitement on tour. People just couldn't get enough of the yeah, high flyers yeah. the, versus Jesse the, and Adrian Adonis. The match you're about to talk to, if the volume hasn't been sweetened, like if someone hasn't gone in there and added thing, the crowd is going fucking crazy. Like you know they were going insane during the you know that match. Anytime there's any action, it's just like you know the, it's loud. Mm-hmm. So you know, and one like sort of slight correction or maybe you know just making sure things weren't confused i had mentioned in the interview that we you know did earlier with the high flyers talking about the road warriors that paul Erling cost them the title and what i meant by that is that they you know the high flyers are saying they would have won the titles not that they lost the titles because you know of course the road warriors were the champs in that match ah, but i wasn't good. clear yes good well thank you for clearing that up so the promo uh, is a little boring for me. Greg, it has a different style. He doesn't shout. And unfortunately, 
it doesn't have that Jake the Snake, I don't shout, but I know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> you want to play 21? I got 22. <laughs> <laughs> Must. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Greg explains, much like a high school teacher He's like saying, see, the difference is going to be that we're wrestlers and they're bodybuilders and then the lactose is going to build up in the tricep muscle and then, and then they're not going to be able to do these things. And similar, a similar thing to mine, but less emotion maybe or something. Yeah, I, I was, you know, unfortunately, I was a little bored by it. Yeah. Especially in contrast to, I think I had just watched a super funny Sheik Adnan LKC promo. That's so right. Laughing yeah. and chuckling. There's nothing funny about Greg's. I guess nowadays I like the comedy, you know, <laughs> the best. Right. yeah. And there's no comedy from Greg. Anyway, but so, so that promo comes and goes. And I, I, for some reason, my clip, I think I saw two promos, like one without Jim. And then same thing happens again with Jim. Right. I think it but, might be like we saw in one of the other matches where there's like a promo from the previous week. Right. And there's an edit. But if you're not paying attention, it's hard to tell because they, they're still wearing the same clothes. Like yeah, if they're so wearing their ring gear or something, they, they look identical, right? Yeah, and they the, shoot multiple and, weeks you know, worth of promos exactly, in the same Exactly. They're wearing the same, same clothes. <laughs> yeah. I think that's, uh, they may have even talked about it. You know, they'll shoot multiple weeks of promos on the same day. Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, right. So this is exciting. It's a world title. Is your, it was your promo the one where Greg starts kind of talking about how like injuries cost, not only cost him and Jim, you know, these chances at the world tag team titles that the Road Warriors scooped up, but that they could have been like Rick Martell won the world title. So they could have been world champions. Yeah. yeah. There was a strange comment there. Like that made us sick. And like, huh? Yeah, like, what, but, what? Why are you mad at Rick Martell? Yeah. <laughs> but out of context, didn't understand that comment. That was strange. So the Road Warriors haven't developed their look yet. They've got studded bands around their necks, which do look pretty hardcore and cool, and their wrists and, you know, forearms, but they don't have the famous football shoulder pads with the spikes, which, you know, will come to sort of define them. But, you know, if you're not paying attention, actually, I, I didn't realize this until we sort of talked about it, that, you know, this was pre that look and like, oh, That's yeah. right. Yeah. It didn't really matter that much, to be honest, you know, like the, without this, in a sense, I mean, like it, it was just as good without the shoulder pads and the spikes, but that was pretty cool when they came along until yeah. the WWF wrecked it. Yeah. That, that ruined it. But so it was so exciting to hear this weird, well, we get the Iron Man. We get the Black Sabbath. We get yeah, the pop. Yeah, the High That's Flyers came out to some kind of music, though, some first. Goofy, I tried they come to come in the ring it. first, and yeah, I, it sounded familiar, but I don't know what it was. Yeah, they're trying to cash in on rock and wrestling, but it didn't Absolutely, work. Absolutely, yeah. Did not work. And but then, when you, you, like you said, you hear the music start. Oh, it's good. So, so much fun. You got to watch this. And it just underlines our point that uh, it's a disservice to the art when, um, you know, the modern editors, well, it's not their fault. It's the people who won't pay the copyright, you know, and for the original music, you know, that the wrestlers came to the ring, in, original entrance music and stuff like that. So this is a real treat to watch. Okay, so we have Wally Carbo in the ring makes an announcement before <laughs> right. the match. Yeah. Wally Carbo, Avernaganya. <laughs> and uh, he explains that Precious Paul Ellering is barred from ringside, presumably because Greg said that he interfered. Yeah, there's, it seems to be a theme, a common right. running theme is that yeah. Ellering's interfering in every match. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, that's pretty great. He's like, I'm staying, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> Paul's great. Yeah. And, uh, but they get rid of him, and uh, then there's an attack. Attack oh, wait, wait a minute, actually. Sorry, I just wanted to, to back up for a second just to add some context before we get in this match. When I watched one of our matches, you know, YouTube kind of prompts you to watch something else, you know, and I wasn't at the, you know, I kind of stepped away from the computer or whatever it was, so it just started playing, uh -huh. and it was the High Flyers and Jerry Blackwell 
versus the Road Warriors and Paul Ellering. And I checked the dates, and it was actually from earlier in the year. It was probably from January. And this goes back to that concept of, like, these feuds would, like, you know, it would take, like, a long time. There would be months and months of matches and lots of talking on TV. We didn't, here in Winnipeg, get to see any of these, you know, or many of these matches at all. Uh, It was all sort of, like, in our head. But there's, you know, another match, and you get... You know, some good, it's, you know, I'll skip through it very quickly and just kind of get to the end because I think there's something sort of significant that happens at the end of the match. But I think it's like they're developing their style against each other, like learning how to work in the ring against each other. And it's, you know, it's really quite unique and funny. And uh, especially when you look at the disparity of size between like a a Greg Gagne versus the Road Warriors, you know, it can actually create some like really great comedy moments. And uh, it definitely had me laughing. So, you know, as I said, so it's a six-man tag. And Ellering's kind of trying to play up being a bit of a goof in a way, like, you know, when he's in the ring. And he's trying to stay out of the ring. He's mostly on the apron. But there's some really funny moments. There's about three or four in the first half of the match where Greg Gagne has the advantage and he's working an arm lock or he's working a leg lock or whatever it is. And the Road Warriors are able to just muscle him off like he's a child. And he, like, does flips and things like that. And I got some really good, you know, chuckles out of that. So, like, good on Greg for, like, sort of, you know, making, you know, sort of taking a piss of himself kind of thing, you know, yeah, like, look, take, yeah. look, look, look how scrawny I am, you know? Yeah. Taking the piss. I think taking the ex- piss. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. You're taking the piss, mate. <laughs> yeah. He's not peeing on himself. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Runzy's uh, <laughs> in there. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, no, don't do that. That's terrible. No, no. So the couple of other neat things was there was a test of strength between Jerry Blackwell and Animal. And of course, Jerry Blackwell goes down on his knees and eventually as the good guy, as Jeff alluded to, like regardless of who's stronger, the good guy always gets to have some sort of a strength comeback. And I think Animal kicks him in the stomach. And then there's a, a there, it, you know, it doesn't matter how it gets to it, but Jerry Blackwell ends up countering the next move with a drop kick, <laughs> and it looked really good. Isn't he impressive? Yeah. yeah. He flies through the air, and he and Animal takes his great bump because he goes he, he sends himself out of the ring from this drop kick. You know, it's like, so that was really funny, and there's a great hawk press slam on Greg, and he takes the major beating throughout the match. He gets caught in the middle of the match, and they just pound on him, and he does this great, really uh, great motion where he gets whipped in the corner and it's like he ducks his shoulder and shoulder tackles the post you know he he doesn't hit the turnbuckle or the pad he goes straight to the post and it looks really devastating and there's some pretty funny moments where like Hawk's like escorting him across the ring like ramming his that shoulder like he's got him hammer locked like his arm behind the back and he's ramming that shoulder into the turnbuckle without letting it go and then he turns him around and he runs him the other right, way right, and... right like the perp walk right, <laughs> yeah know. exactly let's go buddy <laughs> yeah so fingerprints mug shots they, of course, finally get the hot tag and the, the baby faces do some stuff, but pretty quickly they tag Greg back in, which makes no sense. And he gets a sleeper on, I think, Hawk. And so it's a big smudge and it gets broken up. And finally the ref is, I th- you know, the ref, Ellering's been just, you know, punted out of the ring. And the ref is escorting Animal out. And I think Jerry Blackwell had been taken out as well. And that leaves the High Flyers to pull off this double drop kick behind the ref's back on Hawk. And... I, th- I think it's Jim jumps on him. One, two, three pins Hawk. Wow. Now it's a six man tag match. It's not like the titles don't change, but that's incredible. Like, I can't remember ever seeing a road warrior get pinned, you know, back in that. Did you say Jim covers him? 
Jim or Greg, one of them. <laughs> Probably Greg. I mean, that's just a fine point. That's wild because, yeah, you never hear of the Road Warriors doing the job. So at this, I'm going to take from context, the Road Warriors are our, the, the, we, the tag champs. Yeah, they're already the champs. But yeah. it's a six-man. But it's a six-man, wow, yeah. Wow, that's fucking awesome. So that I would have, that's just so cool. Like, you never get to see that shit. Yeah, and I, I don't, you know, I'm sure they used it, but it was almost like they... You know, it's a clean pin. Kind of steal- it's a clean pin. It was pretty much, yeah. And it Nobody. was kind of they were stealing the Rock and Roll Express Thunder a bit, you know, like using that double drop kick. Like it, the way they did it. I, in my mind, a high flyer double drop kick is a whip a guy off the ropes and then we both drop kick him. The Rock and Roll Express is like the guy's down and out. They time it as he's standing up and they, you know, they come in from opposite angles and double drop kick the guy. And, the, you know, they pinned countless jobbers <laughs> and some and some stars, you know, that way. Oh, so they didn't. I see. They did I a rock. Sometimes they would whip them off the rope, but their, their main way I always saw the Rock and Roll Express do it would mm-hmm. literally just be like, wait for the guy to stand up and mm-hmm. bang, bang, double, double drop kick. Well, that is a rarity to see. Yeah. Uh, and that was, you know, I wouldn't have really bothered skipping back to it, but it was like this hawk gets pinned. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, that was like, wow. had to talk about that. Well, they must have, you know, probably been like, very few people are going to see this. You know, <laughs> that's right. Probably, you know, you would think, yeah, they famously wouldn't do the job for the fabulous ones. Yeah, I mean, Ellering's there. Why, you know, like you would think, like, you of know, why isn't, why isn't Ellering taking the pin? You've got a buddy Roberts right there. <laughs> Come on. Okay, sorry. So let's get back to what we're here to talk about, which is an actual tag team title match between the Road Warriors and the High Flyers. So we won't go blow for blow because I think these two matches occurred so close to. They were they, they were so recent. One happened right after the other, probably something like that. Well, you have the dates probably in front within of a couple you. of months of each other. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, there are spots for sure that get repeated. So here we go. So the uh, attack happens before the bell. Classic heel maneuver, and <laughs> uh, it's a four way brawl for a while. But pretty quickly, the high flyers do get a double drop kick in. So you know they show their <laughs> offensive capabilities even though yeah because it's those tiny muscles yeah exactly it's great and the crowd loves it because you know you can hurt the road warriors if you double team them in my recollection of this match early on there's a lot of there's wrestling you know but but anytime greg or jim start throwing fists the crowd goes nuts they love the punch the you know the punch and kicking but the thing with the awa is they don't always go there right so it's almost like you you know like the you you make the fans wait for the you know i'm really gonna get you know pissed off to actually start throwing fists right well that's a good guy characteristic you know to maintain their cool and keep a level head and don't cheat until you've had enough of the other guys cheating (laughs) then i'll cheat that's right so there's a ganya hop (laughs) great ganya he gets (laughs) so excited he just you know leaps straight up (laughs) he should have been a basketball star (laughs) <laughs> um, and then we have the trademark high flyers style, which is a lot of quick tags and, uh, it's good. I mean, it's, uh, there's yeah. a lot of energy. There's a lot of movement, uh, things, even if there's a rest hold for the guy, you know, who they're dominating, you know, that's right. The, those guys are doing all, you know, it's, it's good. It's good. And that happens for a couple of minutes and they're working Hawk's leg. So they're keeping him on his back and it's a pretty right. smart way to wrestle. And that's what yeah, I think they keep saying. kind of dragging him back to their corner because you know, yeah. he keeps getting up on his up to his feet but they keep getting him back down and dragging him back right so that's great but uh, hawk does eventually manage to tag an animal yeah then we get a super impressive quadruple military press from animal oh, wow. on greg it's just yeah. man animal just be must be like so happy when he's got to wrestle greg gunny he's like <laughs> and they show up like never before really good but then 
animal misses a big knee, and then that gives the high flyers a chance to work on animal's leg and keep him from That's tagging right, in. That's right, yeah. So animal's on his back, and they're working the uh, ankle locks and all these leg holds to uh, prevent the road warriors from using all those big muscles, those big bodybuilder muscles of theirs. Take we'll see. some of that power. That's right. So it's working pretty well. But they do eventually manage to tag. So now we've got the other road warrior back into the ring. And it's Hawk's turn to military press <laughs> Greg. Yeah, it's just so great, you know. Yeah. And, and Hawk's got the, you know, the more cut physique. So That's right. I always thought that was, I don't know. I, and especially his shoulders, the way they're just like carved out of marble. They're, anyway, so really cool. Um, but then it's also Hawk's turn to miss his big fist drop, which is right, a great move. Yeah. Uh, I like DiBiase's got a great falling fist drop and Hawk's got a great jump in the air yeah, and then leaping fist drop. Leap, yeah, and it's really, um, yeah, it's awesome. Uh, also, I'll point out though, closed fists are illegal. That's Dude, right. Fist drop, should you? What? Doesn't seem to matter. <laughs> Heel Hawk or babyface Hawk, it's fist drop time. That's right. We get a bear hug, which uh, Jim breaks the rules. What? How dare he? Yes. Comes in, breaks up the bear hug, and eventually Jim gets into the ring. It's not quite the hot tag because, I mean, they were tagging like three times a minute in the early part of the match. So we're not at the hot tag. You don't want to overwork the hot tag. That's kind of, you got to really do it once per match, you know? To have the most effect. That's right. Amazing power slam from Hawk. Pure animal style. Beautiful spinning, like centrifugal force. Like it just looks great on Brunzel. Really awesome. And they batter Brunzel for a while and they get to be the road warriors. They get to be kick ass stomper rompers. Uh, It's awesome. So, um, and now we're working the hot tag and they managed to keep the high flyers apart for a long time until. Brunzel gets in, Greg, and then we have a Ganya Hop. <laughs> the Ganya Hop's the funniest. <laughs> so excited. Now, you said earlier that Ganya gets a sleeper on Hawk, so that was the rehearsal. That's right. And here we go. We have Ganya with the sleeper on Hawk. Hawk makes his way to the ropes and then let's go. Even after the ref says, <laughs> he's got the ropes. And then Hawk's like, whoops, let's go. And then they stagger back to the middle of the ring. I'm like, what? Hawk, you dummy. Oops. Yeah, that's dumb. And then Animal comes in to break up the sleeper that should have been, what? And the ref just lets it go. So this Brunzel <laughs> drop kicks Animal. Animal spills out of the ring. And it looks like Ganya is going to win yeah. the match with a, a sleeper on Hawk. Is, it, is that the spot where he maybe like Hawk starts to stand up to get rid of Greg, but then actually drops back down to his knees? So it really like that gives you that idea that like, oh boy, he's really going down. He's really going out. Yeah. But I was distracted by this whole thing that he grabs the rope. Right. Yeah. And maybe then it's part of that. Maybe it's part of that. So yeah. for me, I just like, I soured on the spot, you know, kind of like, I, and so it, 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 yeah, what you say is probably cool. Like a, some good selling after he, you know, <laughs> inexplicably, right. you know, botched, you shouldn't have got that close or whatever, you know, you don't that's let right. the guy get to the ropes. So that was, that's not, that ain't supposed to be like that. <laughs> the world titles are on the line, so Precious Paul has no choice <laughs> but to return to the ring. He has to. <laughs> and jump off the second rope that's to protect the belt. And right. he, he's not even there, but he's there. <laughs> yeah, shows up and uh, breaks up the sleeper, but the de- the referee obviously disqualifies course, the Road yeah. for this. Greg does a bit of an obvious blade and uh, gives up some juice for the post-match schmoz. That's right, yeah. And they batter Greg. You know, now he's bloody. That's right. And yeah. <laughs> um, 
Paul's there and the road warriors are doing what they do. And the dressing room clears. <laughs> Start with the jobbers. That's right, because they got to get knocked down first. Yeah. Uh, then you get some of the other people from the back, from Zank and Baron Va- Tom Zank, Baron Von Raschke, uh, the Hennings, Junior yeah, and Senior. Yeah, yeah. And then Greg, bloodied and blind, is, you know. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's right. He's starts, trying to fight everybody. Yeah. He's just like Greg versus the world. All these he's, buddies are here to help yeah, him. Yeah, exactly. He's doing this thing where I, I can't see, so I'm going to just start swinging. Yeah. <laughs> and he looks like this desperate man fighting for his life, blood streaming down leaning his up, face. Leaning up against the ropes and just wildly swinging. Yeah, it's pretty funny. <laughs> so they don't win the belts. And this kind of, you know, might be the last hurrah for the High Flyers. Thank you so much. Greg and Jim, there's probably, you know, at least it's 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 the beginning of the end. I would say more that, yeah, because Jim's around for, I'd have to look it up, you know, X amount of more months, because he's not in the WWF, you know, around WrestleMania, first Saturday's main event, but sometime over the summer, he shows up well, in the let's WWF. Hope, let's hope that they capture this much excitement somewhere after this match, because, like, this is as good as the High Flyers get, and I don't know what they have, if, if, if there's, do they even... Tag again, the high flyers. After I, I this? would, I would think so. I mean, I didn't go look at the host show results, right. but I bet you they do. I right. bet you, I bet but you there's more. But this matches. could be the last great one. Could be. Yeah, and kind of it's what coming, you were anyway. talking about with Jim. He was a wrestler who came through Vern Gagne's camp, and it's been sort of noted that Vern's business model when he trained somebody was that you know you owed him a tax, basically, like that he he had a percentage of your of your. Uh, you know, of your of your earnings, your future earnings. Wow. There was one last thing about the video. The announcer calls it wrong. After the um, road warriors are actually standing in the ring at one point, and uh, yeah. the road and the announcer's like, "There you have it, your winners." And I'm like, "What? No, they, they lost by disqualification." So <laughs> silly announcer. So if I had my story correct, Jim was one of the only guys who sort of like lived up to this thing, who kind of like a lot of these guys would tell Vern, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, you get 10% or whatever it is. And then they just wouldn't pay him, right? Because it's not like he's, it's not like he can go to JCP or NWA or Florida or whoever and be like, hey, send me 10% of that guy's money. It's on that person to actually pay him. And Jim was paying him for quite a while. <laughs> and then when he got to the WF, at some point, I think maybe he cut him in on a couple of his first checks. And then it finally, you know, after talking with enough other people, he was like, what are you doing, man? Like, he's, he shouldn't be taking, you know, your LJN money and your, you know, like. <laughs> wow. Well, that's Vern Gagne. The more you learn, the less you learn to love him, I'm afraid to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. His, his, his setup of how to pay people and what he, he deserved was a little bit, uh, maybe, yeah, maybe out of line. Okay, so this card is not done. We have a huge match. It's a great match. And again, not really part of the Star Cage setup, but we don't care. <laughs> yes, we, well, we, you're right. We care, but we don't care. Like, we'll, we'll take care, it, we we'll, we'll yeah. enjoy it for what it we're is, gonna, but we don't yeah. focus on the negative. We're just going to be here to, to enjoy this match because Nick Bockwinkle certainly is on the Star Cage card but we must officially register our protest yeah you know rick martell the only thing i can think of and i mentioned this jeff and i didn't you know i just didn't have time to bother and go look it up but it is possible that rick martell because he's not on the awa cards for a couple of days in a row and i'm thinking like it's possible a he's just off but b he could be wrestling in another organization they did travel Pro, uh, pro wrestling usa is a thing at this point where they've got the cooperation between the different federations different organizations leagues so, you know, it's possible that Rick Martel's, you know, wrestling 
you know, in Quebec for loot, or he's over in JCP, or he's in Memphis, or he's in, like, there's all these different places they had arrangements with, so. He's on ESPN, damn it, that's where he is, or TSN, <laughs> or wherever the hell it is that I can't see, that's where he is. <laughs> so the clip we get, it's a nice long clip, uh, it starts off with Nick Bockwinkle gets sort of the back-to-back interview treatment, so the first part is Larry Nelson and Nick Bockwinkle the week before the match, and Nick Bockwinkle's got his white ring jacket on, and he's, you know, just so eloquent and so, like, he's sort of like, he's this clean, classy version, controlled version of Ric Flair. He's like, you know, he doesn't go crazy and, you know, get up, get high intense the way Ric Flair gets, but he does sort of pull off the, I'm better than you. He's like a politician. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. You know, very confident and not, I mean, but a, not a belligerent one that we're seeing, you know, more and more, I guess, but. Uh, yeah. As in, as in, yeah, well spoken, eloquent. Not one flub on that first. Right. No, yeah. he, he hasn't got our famous, um, you know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he's very, he's very polished. I, I heard that he read a lot, and he specifically, he would spend time going through thesauruses and dictionaries because he knew how much it pissed off the crowd and the fans to make him think that he was so much smarter than them. So he would find ways to have these really like fancy words, you know, and variations of ways to say ah, things to sort of prod people. <laughs> <laughs> when you come in actually to Larry Nelson, uh, he says that was our golden oldie match. And I'm like, I don't know what the hell that would mean. So maybe the TV broadcast this was on, maybe was showing like some sixties or seventies match or, you know, something who knows. Right. So that was sort of interesting. <laughs> if anyone knows what that would have meant, uh, you know, let us know. But again, like he's with Nick and he, he makes a comment, which I don't think I understood. Nick Bachman was talking about Rick Martel and he's saying after he loses, he's going to have to go back to his mother's potato basement and have a cry or something along that lines. I kind of, I think I kind of well, missed it. Maybe some people grow potatoes in their basement. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but the, the real thing he's really emphasizing is that Rick Martel never beat him. Yeah. So despite Jeff and I's confusion in our first AWA oops. show, oops, yeah. uh, you know, it's the great. Jumbo Sharuda thing was really great because he's like, he never beat me. You know, he was fortunate enough to beat Jumbo Sharuda. He never beat me and he, and he never will kind of thing. And, you know, and he says something which nowadays this term is overused and over understood. But back then in 1985, Nick Bakugo says, they jobbed me in Japan with these rule changes. So I don't think he was saying it in the way that, like, it's sort of commonly understood in the wrestling community now. Uh, we all sort of pretend like we know everything and uh, and use that term all the time. So it was interesting to hear him even say that. But, uh, you know, he talks about... The world champion is no jobber, but he did do the job for Saruto or Jumbo because <laughs> he gave him the belt, you know? Yeah, like, exactly. He agreed yeah. to, like, yeah. be, re- you know, to yeah. give up his championship. So That's he, right. So he did the job for Jumbo's... How do you pronounce it? Jumbo Sharuta. Sharuta. Yeah. You don't spell it the way it sounds. It's definitely, it's no. like a T-S something. I, That's where I was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, like I said, it does, there's a really hard to notice edit. And you're in, now you're into the current week, the week that he's going to wrestle for the belt. But because Larry Nelson's wearing the same tux and because Nick Bachman goes wearing the same ring jacket and hair looks identical, you know, you have to assume that this interview was sort of just like they paused Okay, now now do the second interview. So uh, it's again Nick, and he's this time he's talking about you know having butterflies, like all sports, all athletes. You know, if you don't get butterflies, then you don't care. And I care tremendously. He says, you know, about this belt and how he's going to get it back. And so it's just really interesting, you know, watching him kind of like do two promos, sort of the same thing, but slightly different. 
So they get into the ring, and we uh, can see things like Ken Resnick is the ring announcer, and Buddy Lane is the referee. Yeah, Buddy Lane. Yeah, so he's our un- AWA uh, unsung hero. hero. Yeah, <laughs> we love Buddy Lane and his awesome match with Mr. Electricity, Steve Regal. I saw them <laughs> wrestle in Winnipeg, and the crowd went crazy for them, and they did false finishes. It was like a Savage Steam about WrestleMania 3 excitement. We went, I was just the right age, but man, we went so nuts, and he almost got the belt. <laughs> and somehow I thought he was from Winnipeg, but anyway, good old Buddy Lane. Yeah, so Nick Bockwinkle is... In the ring with that, that white jacket I mentioned, he's got full white pants on, which he's starting to disrobe as they're being announced. Rick Martell is in his corner wearing his belt around his waist and sort of just doing his little almost like lightly jogging on the spot kind of bouncy thing that he always did. Yeah. Looks great. That's all he that did. Good, I, good looking I, belt. The, the one thing, and yeah, the, the AWA belt was large. Yeah. So there was a point where like when you've got that Hogan Sheik belt, you know, like yeah. before they switched it and then you look at the AWA belt, yeah. the, the, the WF belt looked like a joke. Yeah. <laughs> Was it green leather, that whole yeah, belt? The, yeah, the green strap, yeah, yeah, that belt. So the one thing I noticed, from, and it changes, trust me, it changes very quickly, but I noticed that Rick Martell almost seemed a bit low energy when the match started and sort of during the introduction. I kind of, you know, I don't know why, I just kind of was like, hmm, that's kind of strange. He just doesn't look like he's very intense. <laughs> but uh, but it picks up very quickly. So you get Larry and Ken on commentary again as soon as uh, Ken is done doing well, the ring announcing. They do make a... They're like, I think it may be early. He's guessing he's pacing himself, you know, because they make a reference right. to like, he just had a 60 minute match, you know. So if they're going to yeah, do 60 like minutes. He's wrestling every night around the world. Yeah, which and, we yeah. know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Not the case, but. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I hadn't quite noticed that. But maybe he was just going slow because it's, you know, it could yeah. go long. So one of the things that happens in this match is there's Nick Bogwinkle starts off very kind of cocky and very sort of how do you want to say he's very like sort of plotting in his initial moves and stuff and he's doing some clean breaks and he's being really overemphasizing these clean breaks and kind of like taunting martell a bit like he keeps getting the advantage pushing martell into ropes and then letting him out you know without without doing it patronizing yes exactly so you know they have some some you know there's a lot of straight wrestling of some counters so they're not kicking and punching they're like you know they're grabbing each other and they're they're reversing things and at one point, Nick again gets Martel tied up in the ropes and backs off clean. But this time, he gives him a little flick from under the chin. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. He kind of flicks him off, kind of an fu. <laughs> that's right. The old scratch in your stubble. Yeah. So they get moving, and now the pace starts to pick up. And there's a moment where they go for an abdominal stretch, but it looks like it's a botch. They fall over on this abdominal stretch and actually kind of fall out of the yeah, ring. Go with it, go with it, Rumble, keep going. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, like, Bachwinkle's still in the ring, but kind of half hanging out the ropes. Martel's on the apron. And then I guess at that point, maybe Nick's just like, okay, let's, you know, let's get things going here. So he's that's when he starts hammering Martel. He's kicking him and punching him. He's ramming his feet. Martel's standing on the outside and Nick's inside the ring. So he's reaching outside and grabbing Martel's head and ramming it onto the apron and that kind of stuff. And, you know, so we're starting to get like, you know. A little more vicious. Exactly, yeah. So he throws Martel out again and, you know, he gets a slam on him, gets a cover. So there's lots of pin attempts in this match. And there's in, early on, there's one, you know, one counts and then eventually starts being two counts. They're sort of progressing into like how far they're getting into the match and how hurt people are getting. And so Martel finally gets in some really good moves. There's a really quick transition where there's like, you know, an arm drag, a head, you know, a, a headlock takeover, you know, a hip toss, like a just really quick sequence. And like the, you know, the commentators are super impressed. And I think that's when they make the reference to that uh, Rick Martel versus Harley Race in St. Louis, a 60-minute draw, you know, that Martel had recently had. And so it's kind of neat. When I was looking at the cards, it was neat to see all the different places the AWA was wrestling. And there was 
places I wouldn't expect them to be on. I was like, what? They, they had cards and like, you know, they were on the East Coast. They were like, you know, oh, well, British that, Columbia. British that kind of answers some of the wondering that I had done about who else was he uh, wrestling that we didn't know about. And there's, there's <laughs> yeah. another, there's a legendary name. So Terry Gordy surprised the heck out of me that they had a singles match. And then and, and I find that fascinating and that's really cool. Yeah. Who else? So there's, uh, you know, there's, I don't know. there's several counters and they're going back and forth. No one's really pounding on each other yet. No one's really got a long-term advantage. Martel gets the sunset flip for two. <laughs> this is where Larry Nelson starts talking about how Nick will wake up out of his sleep and kick out if he hears someone counting. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was I awesome. I didn't notice that. Yeah, yeah. They're talking about how fame and money <laughs> will go with the belt. I also really like this part. They start talking about how Winnipeg promoters outbid other promoters across the world who really wanted this match. Oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah. That's great. So yeah, I really love that idea of that it's like a true sport and you know that you know you have to as a promoter you have to do all this stuff to get them. So <laughs> we could have gone to Madison Square Garden. We could have gone to the Tokyo Dome. We're in Winnipeg, Manitoba. <laughs> so they start pumping up Nick Bogwiggle's experience and how only Vern Gagne has more championship match ex- experience than Nick Bockwinkle. That he, you know, he's been in more championship matches as the champion or the challenger than anybody else. Ah, kind of Martina Navata. Tennis. Yeah, the vet. That was a classic match in ladies' tennis of the vet and the and Chrissy Everett Lloyd and everyone was like, "Come on, get her newcomer!" And she's the wily veteran. Yeah, Martina Navata Lova. So there's a really quick transition on a, on some rope uh, bouncing and uh, Martel ducks under and then does this really great cross body and Bachwingo kicks out at about one and a half, but Larry Nelson's all excited as if they're still counting. He's like, he's got him, he's got him, but he's already kicked out. <laughs> Oops. Yeah, it's really funny. So Bachwingo at one point kind of gets Martel kind of, he gets him into this arm bar and eventually he also wraps up his legs. So it looks a little bit like what people would call the STF, which was like a submission maneuver that a lot of guys use. So it's sort of like a reverse chin lock, but also you've got like a bit of a leg lock going on. So the person's mm-hmm. on their stomach, you know. Danny O'Brien did something pretty similar, Oh, absolutely, right? yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. It was, there was lots of different wrestlers. Brian Danielson, whatever. Yeah, yeah, Dan, 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 Dan. <laughs> So... You can tell that like Winnipeg fans are just in love with Martel because he's Canadian. So they're just like, you know, it's like that's true. He's kind of the hometown guy. So they're really cheering it up for him and stuff I, like that. And actually, Winnipeg does have a lot of French Canadians here. Of course. Yeah. yeah people huge, don't huge, realize uh, that there's a. Yeah. outside Franco- of, It's the largest uh, Francophone community outside of Quebec in Canada is, is in Manitoba. So, yeah, yeah, that's true. So there's some great moments when Bockwinkle has Martel all tied up in pretzels. He's yelling at him really loud on purpose so the camera can pick it up. And he's like, he's like, you know, he's like, you got to give it up. You got to quit. You got to quit. You're boring the people. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't hear that. You're boring the people. Yeah. So this leads to eventually after some other stuff, Nick Bockwinkle getting on a figure four. And this is one of my more favorite figure four moments I think I've seen in any match because it lasts a long time. It's about three minutes of Rick Martel just dying in this figure four. And the commentary is actually really good. Like they're really, they, they don't like, you know, they build with it. They don't like, they're not 10 seconds into the figure four. Like, oh, he's going to submit, you know, but like it builds and builds. And now that they're past like two minutes of him Mm. in it and he's just not able to get out. And Jeff noted, and I saw it as well. 
there's a point when Martel gets onto his stomach, but he hasn't rolled Nick over. So Nick still, you know, has the figure four on. And Martel's actually scrunching up the ring mat. There's a bit of, you know, flap or overlap. The canvas. A canvas. And he's actually using that for leverage to pull himself towards the rope. So he finally gets this rope break. And the crowd goes crazy for this rope break. Like, you know, it was, it was really good. Mm-hmm. And now Martel, he does an excellent job of selling that he's essentially crippled. Like, his legs are just dead. He can't, he can barely stand. And it's really good. Nick Bockwinkel gets a couple of backdrops, one off the rope, and then one where he slings Martel into the corner, and when Martel comes out of the corner, Bockwinkel gives him a backdrop, and it's, it's, you know, it's really good. And so finally, Martel gets an advantage and just starts pounding on Martel, just like slamming him in the face over and over, and this wait, leads- Wait, you said Martel twice. Who- sorry, Martel is slamming Bockwinkel in the face, yes, sorry. And then he does this really great pile driver- and one of the things is that Nick Bockwinkel kind of like, um, how do you want to say it, bends his legs backwards toward, you know, so it, instead of just being straight up and down or at a 90 degree angle, he's almost like, you know, his legs are past Martel. So it looks really. Yeah, right. Like it's like, uh, it's 12.05. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah, Bockwinkel's yeah. the five and Martel's the 12. <laughs> That's right. Thing. Yeah, yeah. The legs go off. So this pile driver just looks amazing. And he gets a two count off oh, that. Wait, that was, sorry. I did, I was, I, did I say suplex? Yes, pile driver. Pile, pile driver, said yes. The legs right swing right over. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So then, but Martel, he's in trouble again because he, he slings Bockwinkel off the ropes and he goes up for a drop kick, but Bockwinkel holds on. So slamming down to the canvas is Martel. So he's, he's back in trouble again. And Bockwinkel gets this two count and then he whips him in the corner for, you know, this other backdrop gets another two count and he whips him for a knee and Martel goes down and there's a cover. One, two, three, but... Buddy Lane, <laughs> but Buddy Lane recognizes that Martel has his foot on the ropes. So you see Martel shift on uh, between the second and the third count to get his foot up on the rope. And Buddy Lane, despite slapping the mat for a three count, sees the the foot as he's slapping the mat. So he's telling Bockwinkle. So Bockwinkle is doing this great job of arguing with him. Well, Bockwinkle celebrates because yes, he hears exactly. one, he two, three. He's the champion. He, he doesn't even see Martel's foot on the rope. That's so right. He, he doesn't see it at all. He yeah. thinks he's won the belt. Nick Bockwinkle gets the dusty finish. So Bockwinkle's sort of standing right by the ropes with his hand on the ropes going like, what are you talking about? I'm the champion. And then Martel comes up from behind him and does this really nice back suplex with a bridge. And there's the one. Two, and then Bockwinkle puts his foot on the rope, but there's a three count, and Buddy Lane doesn't see the foot. <laughs> At first, I thought Buddy Lane had, you know, positioned himself poorly and had a view, but on the replay, you can see that he had set himself up so that, no, he couldn't see Bockwinkle's foot on the rope. Yeah. So it's this really great post-match where Bockwinkle is like back on the ground with his foot on the rope trying to show Buddy Lane. And then Buddy Lane gets down on the ground and puts his leg on the rope and they, you know, yeah. you're not quite That's sure awesome. what's being yeah. said. Yeah. And as they're arguing, Bockwinkle finally says, screw it. And he runs over and he starts punching Martel in the face and he throws Martel over the top rope out of frustration and that's kind of the end of the match and it was just yeah I really enjoyed this match and thought it was really great and it was yeah it was it was really good and the replays are do a really they do a really nice job with the replay of showing you like those the the foot on the rope situation and this is something that we had dreamed of seeing when we were kids was Martel with the belt and wrestling Bockwinkle because we got to see on TV Martel chasing Bockwinkle for the gold, but I don't remember ever seeing this, which was, aha, there's Martel as champion fighting off Bockwinkle. I don't remember it. This is like, I, I, my, for me, it, My guess it. and my memories, and I'm sure there's people out there that can correct us on this, but is that like, you know, we would see the interview leading up to this match, 
that he's going to fight. And then we might see the interview after this match with Bachwinkle complaining that, you know, that he was cheated. But we don't, I don't remember getting to see the highlights of this or something. No, which so this is doesn't mean it wasn't there, but, you know, hey. Been waiting 30 years for this <laughs> shit. <laughs> That's right. Martel Bachwinkle finally coming home to roost yeah. after all this time. It was pretty great. And yeah. great to know that, like, there's Martel versus Harley Race out there. Wow. Oh, I, I missed one spot. It's out of it's out of order, but I don't care. I got I got to do it. It's so funny. So Bachwinkle, go back to the figure four. Bachwinkle is celebrating in the figure four about halfway through that three minutes. So he's got his arm in the air, like I'm like victorious, and he's chirping at the crowd. And Buddy Lane's like over by Martel, like head, you know, going like, "Are you, you know, are you gonna give it up? Are you gonna give it up?" And then he looks over at Bachwinkle, and he leaps into the air over to Bachwinkle and puts his arm down. <laughs> And then he runs back to Martel to start checking again. <laughs> that's pretty great. <laughs> it was a really good spot. <laughs> so that's going to end this March 28th Winnipeg, Manitoba card, which is kind of like this preview, this setup. And, and one of the reasons as I put this together in my head is that this would have been our, if we knew about Starcage, this would have been, you know. Go one home the, show kind of thing? I think there was at least one more because they would do TV tapings in Winnipeg and then they would do a regular card. So they normally did two shows in Winnipeg a month usually within a couple of days of each other. One would be a TV squash match taping, and then the other one would be at the Winnipeg Arena, and it would be the, you know, like the, the big matches. Mm. So this is like the nightcap stop off for one more drink but before our, we go but our, home. But our next t- TV taping might have been after Star Cage. So, you know, because this was March 28th, so maybe, mm. maybe, the, maybe the Winnipeg taping without looking might have been the end of April. So, you know, so that kind of brings us home to, you know, kind of the setup of all these matches. So we're going to take a break. We're going to come back in the second half. We're going to look to expand on some of the comments we've made, try and get some corrections or fillers, more information. And then we're really going to focus on the triple main event of Starcage 1985. Stick around. Well, right now he's, he's in trouble. But this match is a long, long way from being over. Both men giving it all they got. Look at that. Look at that angle. Bockwinkle, Martell. You can You're see the almost the sadistic. Listen to this. Listen Come to Nick Bockwinkle. Give it up. Don't bore him. Come on, Martell. Okay, we're back and ready to get fired away on Starcage 1985. But before we do that, we must always look back. We must always correct ourselves, expand, and say whatever else we need to do to fill in some gaps. So it was interesting. We had a few things come up. One of the references we made was to a movie that was actually released in 1985. So good timing. We're talking about 1985. And there was the hangman scene in a movie, which we incorrectly called Body Slam, which was the name of a TV show. This movie was called Grunt, with an exclamation mark. Ah, the wrestling movie. Now it comes back to me. Okay, I remember grunt. renting it as a kid and you know really enjoying it because it had something to do with wrestling. I think I got to see it in the theater. I'm, well, I'm pretty sure There's I also did. a scene where the, the heel... Mid 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 match mid sorry mid movie the heels valet gets up on the apron and you know exposes herself to distract his opponent and get him a win so that was like you know as a teenager getting to see a uh, you know TNA scene was uh, <laughs> memorable. So this movie was released in eighty five. Yes, I see. Wow, yeah, it was fun. Yeah, I was surprised when I looked at the credits. And, and they, you know, I might have missed some people because maybe they were using their proper names and not their wrestling names, but I didn't actually spot very many actual wrestlers in the uh, cast. Uh, one name that came up because there was a battle royal to end the movie. So Dan Spivey is in the movie under his name, Dan Spivey or Danny Spivey. And also Adrian Street 
you know, got to play a pretty big role in that ending scene as in character as Adrian Street. Uh, but for the most part, I guess it was just all actors and things. The main actor, the hero who is missing for most of the movie, you assume that he is the villain under the mask, but aha, he's not. So it, he looks like Magnum T.A., but it's not, but it's not Magnum T.A., but that's totally who he looks like. Uh, I'd have to review it. I haven't Googled it. I'll bet you that we could probably find a couple of clips if we looked. But the best yeah. clip may as well cover the main yeah. gag. Yeah, yeah. So there is a wrestler who's getting ready to face this giant hooded opponent who looks like he's under the giant size That's and just right. really very imposing. And Cloaked not only that, yeah, it yeah. looks like some kind of evil wizard giant monster. <laughs> And then when he opens the robe, it's like four or five minutes stacked on top of That's each right. other. They pile, they, they stumble, they, what do you call it? Like they, they tumble out of it. <laughs> of pyramid. Yeah. It's like, you know, the kids trying to sneak into a movie with one kid on the other one's <laughs> shoulder. Yes, sir. That's right. I'd like to purchase one adult ticket <laughs> to your racy movie. That's right. So that was the movie you're referencing. Grunt, the wrestling movie. So. On the card, on the undercard for Starcage, there was a tag team named the Alaskans. And I remembered them, but not well enough to talk about them. There really wasn't much to find online either. The gimmick name, I believe, was used by more than more than once. So it wasn't 100% sure. I did find a match between Mark and Jay Youngblood in the AWA versus the Alaskans. And it was a Renslow and Wagner. And this is what I remembered when I saw this match. This is what I was starting to see. And you may be able to describe it better than I did, could because they when they come to the ring, their gear, their <laughs> their clothing. Yeah, is, well, you caught it right when you said, I think we'd call that a Davy Crockett cap. Yeah, like a frontier look kind of thing. A weasel you know? cap. Wait, yeah. oh, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> um, yep. And then they have really long, thick-looking red coats that yeah. basically look like or something, yeah. how you would protect yourself in Alaska, you know, perhaps even 100 years ago. That's right. Very sort of vintage-looking long coat. And then they've got sort of the mucklucks or the, the boots that have the fur and the leather. And they're also bearded, bushy, yeah. barrel-chested men. That's right, yeah. The big guys. Yep. Yeah. Furry and guys. They had like I think they were carrying I don't know the proper term for it, but they were carrying some sort of almost like club, like a wooden like uh, you know not a staff, but like you know it almost looked like a oh, it looks like a bone, but yeah, it's all, uh, sort of a little bit. Yeah, it got clubbish. a bit of a knob on the end or whatever, yeah, you know. Hard to describe. Yeah. So as far as I could see from the results and stuff, though, they do a lot of losing. So I wouldn't call them you know enhancement talent jobbers by any means, but I don't think they won a lot. I don't think they won a lot of matches. Now, what were? Why did we bring them up again? Because they appear on the undercard. They're in one of the matches. Okay. And when I listed them off, you were like, the Alaskans. Okay. <laughs> you know, so we were just clarifying who that team was, because pretty much everybody else we mentioned, we, you know, we knew who they were. Okay. Minneapolis and St. Paul's and sort of the AWA schedule. Now, I did not have time to really do a deep dive on like the history of how many shows, but I thought, okay, well, I'll just look at March. March 1985, how many shows were there in that area? So an important thing to note is that they had a weekly TV taping, Minneapolis taping. So every it didn't say what location it was at. It didn't really say where it was, but there's a weekly TV taping, you know, basically the squash, mat, squash matches. So they have that. But then they would also have St. Paul's cards in, in March. So I believe March had this weird thing because of the way the calendar played out. Whatever day they did their tapings on, there was actually five, you know, let's say five Saturdays in that, that March. So there was about six shows in March of 1985, five of them being these like TV squash matches and one actual proper St. Paul's like big, you know, card with, you know, good matches and stuff. Cross the bridge and you're in a new state. 
<laughs> Speaking of states, I, I don't think you meant to say it. I think you were trying to say something else, but listening back to our comments, at one point when you were talking about St. Paul's in, in Minneapolis, What's you referred in, to them as being in two different states. Okay, so are they not? No, they're both Minnesota. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're the Twin Cities within, you know, within Minnesota, so. Very um, well. When I heard it, I was like, I think he means something else. But anyways, just for anyone who heard that and was like, what are you talking about? They're not two states. Yeah, one state. Uh-oh, big trouble. We'll give Jeff a nice meh on that one. No, I'm kidding. The second April 21st card, so the day of Star Cage, there was, sure enough, a TV taping in Minneapolis. So, in the, And then the main card was in St. Paul's. So there was a couple of wrestlers who wrestled on both. So that means they couldn't have been happening at the same time. So therefore, I will deduce that it was an afternoon TV taping in Minneapolis and then the evening proper big show in St. In St. Paul's. So lastly, I just wanted to touch on Kurt Henning. So I briefly mentioned in his first interview there that he was the Pacific Northwest champion he was referenced. That's what Larry Nelson was talking about referencing that he'd he'd just come off you know close to a full year as, as the champion so jeff has had a long a lot of opportunities to discuss that you know who became his favorite wrestler and that was randy savage and we've discussed a tiny bit my favorite thing in wrestling which is the british bulldogs but if we're going to talk about my favorite singles wrestler it's kurt henning it's mr perfect and i you know i loved him when he was this baby face but of course you know I really loved him when he became like the proper heel and uh, became world champion. And then as he, you know, turned into Mr. Perfect, it just, you know, it just grew deeper and deeper and deeper. So I looked it up and he started his career in the AWA and then he went over and he had a very short run in the WWF. And then he uh, was in the Pacific Northwest Territory and he won a tag team championship with his dad. So him in like 82, him and Larry the Axe Henning were like the Pacific Northwest tag team champions. And so this is sort of the, I, I believe, of the Portland sort of, you know, that that federation. And then he also had tag titles with Buddy Rose and a wrestler named Scott McGee, who I definitely remember from wrestling in the WWF. And sort of, you know, he was Jubber Elite Plus. Uh, he had some moments. But what I couldn't find was the listing of him as the heavyweight champ. But I went and looked up their list of heavyweight champs and figured it out. So May 10th, 1983, Kurt Henning won the title. And here we go. We've been talking about Sheik's. Here's another one. Sheikh Abdullah Ali Hassan. <laughs> I have no idea who that is. Neither do I. Yeah. So Kurt beats him for the title. But he does not hold it for a year. He loses it on September 7th to the Dynamite Kid. Oh, wow. So I went looking because I was like, I have to see Kurt Henning in 1983 versus Dynamite Kid. Whoa. And I couldn't find the match. Oh. But I did find... A tag team match and a six-man tag match of Kurt Henning and other wrestlers versus each, you know, with the Dynamite Kid. So I haven't had a chance yet, but I will certainly be, you know, dipping into that because, you know, pre-injury Dynamite Kid, yes, please. Kurt Henning selling, like, selling for Dynamite Kid, yes, please. <laughs> My God, that's amazing. That sounds incredible. Yeah, so that's, uh, that's something. I, I think I'm going to keep a list of just stuff I want to watch. Maybe we'll just make a whole show on just like, you know, we'll go back to Quebec and see Dino Bravo and Rick Martel versus the, you know, Versus the Road Warriors, and we'll, you know, we'll go to Pacific Northwest and see Dynamite Kid and Kurt Henning in some sort of a tag match. And- yes, and you'll all subscribe to Patreon so that we can retire <laughs> and right. do this, you know, and get the court documents, and, uh, you know, and then we'll do the videos too, you know, and we'll just take over the world. <laughs> Legendary wrestling obsession. It's all you'll ever need. Okay, that's going to wrap up this section, so let's get to April 21st, St. Paul's. The crowd of 12,000 people. Before we cover the last three matches we're going to cover this week, we'll take a look at that undercard. So we've got Steve Olsonowski and Tom Zink defeating those Alaskans that we just talked about. We've got 
Jim Brunzel and Tonga Kid defeated Billy Robinson and Bobby Duncan. We've got Baron Von Raschke and Buck Zumhoff defeating Jimmy Garvin and Steve Regal, who would go on to become the tag champs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then we have Bob Backlund and Brad Ringens defeating Larry Sabisco and Butch Reed. Now, unfortunately, there's no details. I don't know if those are DQs, countouts. I'm assuming they're not all pins. Cause <laughs> wow, Bob Backlund. And, yeah, Brad Ringens. Like, Brad that's what I was saying, right? Like, they put these two, like, wrestlers, wrestlers together, like, you know. Butch Reed always puts on a good show. Yeah, it was such a, that's such a neat sort of, like, connection in Larry Sabisco. Like, I mean, I just, I don't think I could, when I looked at those four names, I was just like, I just could never picture that being a tag team match. So, you know, that's why I was hoping that that match would have been out there for us to watch, but it wasn't. But that's okay. So now that we're through those, we're going to hit up the third of, the first of our triple main event. And that's going to be a tag team match between the Gagnés and Nick Bockwinkle and Mr. Saito. Well, the video cuts in mid-match, so I don't get to say who had music. That's right, yeah. Like that. And no promos either. I mean, I guess you could say that there were promos, but this video starts on the ref is counting for 10 because both wrestlers are on the mat. Now, by both wrestlers, I mean Nick Bockwinkle and Greg Gagne. So Papa's on the corner. Come on, Greg, get up, get up. As a ref, <laughs> as a ref is slowly uh, eight. Nine. I don't even know. He probably doesn't actually get to the nine. And, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Greg does manage to get in, and we get. I, we must be deep into the match because we got the hot tag and the Ganya hop, and it's absolutely it's Vern Ganya showing Junior how it's done. That's right. Ver, Vern's hop's even funnier than Greg's. <laughs> yeah, they're so clumsy and awkward, but you know the crowd loves it. <laughs> well, they're they're hot for it. <laughs> yeah, they go for it, and then we get a kick. And a punch, oh and then he takes Saido and Bakwinkel, and he gives them the old double nugga knocker, <laughs> rams them together, <laughs> and repeat. He does yeah. the same thing. You know, he he gain a kick and a punch and a double nugga knocker. Nog- I was looking for his cape. Vern Gagne is Superman in, the, in this, you know, in this match. He's yeah. just kicking ass. And you know, I would have. You know, I'd be a little harder on him, but alas, I had a look at Ric Flair's last match, and now I'm like, Vern, you look fabulous, <laughs> you right. know? Like, uh, anyway, bless you, Ric Flair, but don't hurt yourself. <laughs> uh, okay, so r- the faces are just running the ring, and we get a sleeper. Now, this is a unique spot that I just <laughs> had never seen anything like it before. We... Uh, there, there is a sleeper that uh, you know gets broken up. It doesn't, it doesn't work out. But Vern is still in the ring, <laughs> and Greg hasn't really got his eye on Dad. You know, he's watching Saido, <laughs> so it takes Vern a little longer to get up and get out of the ring than maybe Greg expects. So he, Greg, manhandles Bockwinkle and is going to Irish whip him into the turnbuckle. You know, and and That's then right. maybe do a monkey flip or something. I don't know a follow up move. But he's already three quarters of the way through the move, and Bockwinkle <laughs> is doing it when Greg looks and's like, "Oh shit, Vern's in the way!" Like you know, meep meep meep. You know, like the mail truck backing up, yeah. and Vern's got no. And you can hear the crowd laugh like, "Oh!" And Vern looks around like, "What?" He's also mad at being kind of. He kind of realizes he's a butt of the joke because yeah, yeah. you know Greg has to like. He's three quarters of the way through the Irish whip, and then he kind of grabs Bockwinkle by the back of the hair, and he's like, yeah, yeah. pulls he, him back. <laughs> emergency breaks, and the, the announcers have to comment on it. And the laugh from the crowd is not a shrill laugh. I mean, yeah. like it's it's a low. It's almost like they don't want to laugh at. Vern yeah, and yeah. like everyone's laughing kind of oh, beneath their breath like I've never heard that loud uh, sneaky, <laughs> sneaky chuckle I, yeah, I didn't yeah, hear it sure. the first time I had to like they are laughing they're all fucking laughing <laughs> no laughing 
So that was like just a unique moment, uh, clumsy, spit of silly fun. So I love the Bockwinkle stupor. This guy does such a great, uh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. he just like takes all this beating on his feet without, he doesn't really know what's going on. He That's doesn't block right. anything. He takes it all. It's just <laughs> like, oh boy, it's just great. man. He takes such a beating. And uh, so <laughs> there's uh, some tagging and worthy of a flare or a Valentine is his timber, you know, <laughs> yeah. just like the kind of a 90 degrees from straight up to straight on the mat, you yeah, know, yeah. without flailing your arms. So Bockwinkle does that at least once or twice. It's, it's just fucking awesome. Vern shows his age with a, a drop kick that misses. And then he's like, oh, my hip. Ah, rolling around. Well, you know, I think he does back to back. So the first one's a nice, you know, a nice drop kick. And then he gets up and does another one. And that's when things don't go so well. <laughs> yeah. And this gives the, the heels a chance to take over. He finally. <laughs> Corey said this earlier. Mr. Saito is a tank, man. Right. He is so ripped. You can see when he whips a guy into the ropes or he chops them, the, the way his pecs and shoulders flex. Yeah, yeah. Like he looks really strong. When he's someone a Someone says guy. a ball of muscle. He's a ball of muscle. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. So, and, and they look stiff. They, you know, he's giving it to the boss and his that's kid. Right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's pretty great. You know, actually, uh, it's it's good to see somebody, you know, not, you know, don't wimp yeah, yeah. the, don't, the boss don't, and don't his kid. Light. Yeah. Uh, to be cruder, you know, like I would say, like, don't pussy me, you know, like, don't yeah, treat yeah, yeah. me, you know, like, you know, like, you make it stiff, you know? Yeah. Um, so there's eye rakes as well to keep the gagnés from winning back the momentum. And the heels get a chance to uh, build tension by beating up uh, the gagnés. And Bockwinkle puts a sleeper on Papa. That's right. And I have to sort of correct myself here. We had discussed the Bockwinkle sleeper situation in the first AWA show, and I kind of like undersold how much he used the sleeper. You know, I kind of was like, oh, maybe it kind of became to a head where he was like trying to like, you know, how do I fight Vern Gagne's sleeper off? I'll have my own sleeper. And I remember it being something about it being like, it was like, you know, I think it was referred to at the time pardon me, as the Oriental Sleeper or something along that lines. And the commentators would sort of play up that it was more of a joke, you know, and it wasn't legal. But looking back now, I think he used that sleeper a lot more often. But again, it wasn't his only thing, you know. Did he, you ever hear it called a Japanese sleeper? Maybe the, it was Japanese, style? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think I might, that, um, I hope I'm not making that up. Yeah. But uh, it is hard, to, you, when you're aware of it, you look for the difference and it's hard to spot. You're like, what are they doing differently that this is well, his I think, and Well, I theirs? think it's the placement of the hand on the bicep, like, like it's sort of like instead of tucking your own hand into the crook of your own elbow, that it's somewhere else, you know, and that's like the slight variation. Mm. We'd have to actually get the video out and look at the, the slight difference. Well, Bockwinkle is quite tenacious with his sleeper because uh, Vern gets out of it, but Bockwinkle reapplies. Like that's, right. I, that's yeah. always good booking for me. Like if a guy's doing his submission, you know, why doesn't he keep trying? You know, if the guy weasels <laughs> exactly. out of it, put it right back on him. Yeah, yeah. So Kicks your big move, just do the big move again. <laughs> yeah. So that's pretty great. But it's not long before Vern turns the tables and puts puts his sleeper on Bockwinkle, which Saido breaks up with an awesome chop. And then you got to brawl all four yeah. men in the ring. And uh, we're uh, we got to keep the short. Match for uh, Bockwinkle and for you, our dear listener, uh, Bockwinkle, for Papa, for Vern Gagne. That's right. <laughs> we can't go 60 minutes. That's right. So we have the four men well, We brawling. really don't know how many minutes went by before, you know, we started, right? That's the thing. Yeah. It could have been twice the length of what we saw. Yeah, but we- exactly, A lot happens in the in the short time that we We came have. in and then the hot tag happened right away. So there's all the build that we missed. Yeah. So quite good point. So we're coming to the finish now. Bockwinkle 
picks up Papa, Vern Gagne, for the slam. But Saido at this point is being ushered out of the ring so he can't see and interfere, Saido. Yeah. And when the referee's back is turned, Greg Gagne drop kicks his dad, who's <laughs> held in the body slam position yeah. by Bachwinkle, and that pushes Vern and you know over on top of it basically Bachwinkle's on his back now and Vern is covered for the pin. And uh the the shock and the impact is enough for a one, two, Three That's right. clean win for the Ganyas over Mr. Yeah. Saido and Nick Bakwenko. each other's arms, hugging and celebrating. Yeah. Something a little off about watching, you know, father and son hugging their underwear, but uh, never mind. That's, uh, the crowd's <laughs> the, going the, for the it. The drop kick to the back of Vern is the lightest drop kick ever. Like, yeah. Gre- Greg Ganya would not have, like, broke a piece of paper with that thing. No. Like, it was, uh, it was no. a baby, baby kiss. Yeah, exactly. Like, one of the best I've ever seen is King Tonga versus Sergeant Slaughter earlier in the show. Just great drop kick and this is one of the yeah. most gentle you know, unbelievable drop kicks <laughs> right. it doesn't look like they push him at all you know, like almost nick's gotta be like is it time do we go <laughs> so there's one spot i remember that we we missed over but it's what's worth revisiting for one moment at some point in the match i forget exactly when the good guys have the advantage and they do a little bit of cheating and Vern's doing some cheating. I can't remember quite what it is that he does. I think he rakes an eye or something. But Mr. Saito is being escorted out of the ring. And Greg Gagne takes that opportunity to go to the top rope, which is illegal. And he drops his version of a knee on Buckwinkle, I believe. And it's really funny because... And then and then he jumps, leaps back to the apron. And then he's like pumping his fist to the crowd. Like, look what I got away with. Ah, <laughs> uh, you're right. That was the... <laughs> I had written down top rope, question mark. But I'd forgotten... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. What had actually happened. That's yeah. illegal. Yeah, it was What really would Macho funny. Man do? <laughs> yeah. And one thing I've noticed from these matches of watching Greg Gagne is that his knee drop off the top rope isn't a knee drop. It's a shin touch. Yeah. So he sort of comes down and he doesn't really, like he lands on his his other foot and then he sort of drapes his shin across the person and kind of like lightly impacts them, you know, as opposed to like some people drop some pretty vicious looking knees. Greg Gagne is a really quite, you know, light, which, you know, it's a good thing, but it also, he, he could have learned to do it in a way that looked a little bit more damaging. Yeah, fair enough. But I, but I certainly enjoyed his, like, him, him, you know, sort of getting off on his cheating and stuff like that. He was so excited to have, yep. you know, cheated. Yeah, it was very good. <laughs> so, yeah, no surprise that in one of his many comeback return matches, <laughs> Vern Gagne, Gagne successful finds again. a way to, to get a win, get it's, another one over Bachwinkle. pin. <laughs> <laughs> he can rely on Bachwinkle to do the job. That's right. And as we mentioned, this entire card was tag team matches. So we will continue with yet another tag team match. And this is the one that we really, you know, I think we set up the best, which is the World Tag Team Champions, the Road Warriors versus Larry the Axe Henning and Kurt Henning. Out for blood, out for vengeance, out for revenge. Well, speaking of which, there's a vigilante mob outside the crowd. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> the yeah. police, it's like the Blues Brothers. They're all yeah, want to arrest they, the road warriors. That's right. The crowd from Hanford is uh, We got a posse. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to thank you all for coming to this beautiful Cal Palace Coliseum tonight. Where are they? <laughs> We're the good old boys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so we do get the full match for this tag team match, which is a good thing. And... So we get Axe and Kurt are in the ring. Now, I noted earlier that they had been referenced in the, I forgot to mention it. So the clip where we watched the Baron and Kurt wrestle the Road Warriors where Kurt got destroyed at the end. When they announced Kurt Henning, they announced him as being part of the, now let me make sure I get this correct. I got to go back up here. They they reference him as being part of the Axe Attack tag team. (laughs) 
Okay. <laughs> That's him and his dad, the axe attack. <laughs> that would have been uh, better to have the masked superstar with uh, <laughs> That's right. Larry Henning. Then you would have had your proper axe attack. There you go. You start with Axe and Kurt in the ring, and this match is for the belts. And we do get a little bit of Iron Man. Nice. So they come out to the ring. Now, to note, these matches, this video, I, I believe on all three, correct me if I'm wrong, is quite low quality. It's not the greatest footage. It's, you know, the color's off. It's not, <laughs> I mean, obviously 1985 was a long way from high definition, but we're, you know, it's really not, Good quality. We've seen other matches from 1985 from the AWA that look a lot better than this. So I'm not sure why the quality is so bad. If it's just whoever uploaded it had a bad VHS tape going or what the deal is, but it makes it a little tougher to watch, but that's okay. So you get that music and you get the Warriors coming through this really big crowd. Like I said, you know, there's 12,000 people at this place. The aisleway is not really defined. So again, the Road Warriors are sort of coming through this massive humanity. And, you know, despite being the villains they were, they still were already really, really popular. You know, they. Sort of like Hogan, it's like you know you try and make them bad guys, but you know. Mm-hmm. Well, I I remember that was that's what it was like when I got to see them. Is the crowd cheered the faces, and then they you know <laughs> cheered, you know the college boys, you know that's cheered right, the yeah, Road yeah. Warriors, and I cheered the Road Warriors too. But you know I was only thirteen or twelve, but right, yeah, you just kind of can't help but getting care, you know caught up in it. Mm-hmm. So they're coming out with Paul Ellering, and they get up in the ring and they just look really impressive. I mean, Larry the Axe is a very big man, but Kurt's like sort of a normal looking person, you know, like compared to the Road Warriors. So they really stand yeah, out. Yeah, Kurt doesn't look anything like he, what he, very different from what he will yeah, eventually. Yeah, pretty short hair. He's quite lean, you know, very athletic, of course. But so you, uh, they are introduced as the Legion of Doom, the Road Warriors, Animal and Hawk is sort of this long, you know, like string of names, multiple names they have. Their announcers are calling it a blood feud, you know, like we're really here to, you know, settle the score and we're going to start with hawk in against axe and uh one thing we'll note is that what's he so hot about (laughs) nice (laughs) so you know they they start off and it's basically test of strength stuff a lot to begin with and larry the axe henning again is you know near the end of his career here so he's not moving a ton he's he's doing what he's sort of good at right now which is you know trying to do power moves and stuff like that so there is a spot where he gets a bear hug on hawk and Hawk, of course, uses the rake to the eyes and then punches him down. And at that, and then, you know, as they're continuing to fight, there's a point where Larry the Axe Henning's able to whip Hawk off the ropes and give him this really big back elbow. But Hawk doesn't quite go down. Like, he staggers, but he doesn't, like, so they're really trying to show off the strength of the Road Warriors that, like, this huge man couldn't knock him over. Like, you know, that was, mm-hmm. to me, that was, like, pretty cool that he did that. And so they get into a knuckle lock, and it's back and forth, and eventually he's able to fling Axe into Kurt in the corner. It's really weird. It's this situation where he kind of like, they end up with a tag, but it's like, he almost like, it's almost like Hawk's able to like bash Kurt a little bit on the apron with his dad. It's kind of a funny spot, you know? And so they, yeah, there's, you know, punches happening. And as soon as Kurt comes in, he's very quickly caught in the wrong corner. They, they move to the other side of the ring and, you know, he slammed, but he moves from this elbow drop. So like Kurt's whole thing is that he needs to like, sort of like Greg Gagne, he needs to like, Stick and move. He needs to, like, get out of the way. He can't stand in front of the Road Warriors or he's, you know, he's going to get squashed. So there's a point where (laughs) Kurt tries a shoulder tackle. (laughs) And it's hilarious. He just, like, you know, it looks like TNT went off and he just explodes. And, I mean, Kurt 
Henning is one of the greatest athletes that's ever been in wrestling, and his ability to throw his body around, especially at this age, and you know, in his size, it looks so good. It just really makes the Road Warriors seem like they're just, you know, oh, yeah. just monsters. That leap to get into the hangman is just defies gravity. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So he, uh, you know, he follows this up, and there's a leapfrog situation and a drop kick. So he's starting to get some something going for him, and arm drag by Kurt on Hawk, but um, pardon me, on Animal, but. Animal's able to work his way, you know, just with with Kurt holding his arm, he's able to just, you know, get over to the corner and tag Hawkin and stuff like that. And again, the World Warriors, they're, they use the, they use the eye rake, you know, most of the time to break things up. And that sets up a whip and he bounces off the opposite rope for a big clothesline. That's Hawk on Kurt. Pardon me, he goes for the clothesline, but Kurt ducks it. And they, and they collide in this really huge crossbody for two. So like Kurt Henning has a ton of momentum and he gets this, this uh, two count. And then that followed up, there's a sunset flip, and that's when Hawk is able to, like, reach down, he stops the sunset flip from happening, and he punches Kurt Henning, and this is really where the beatdown on Kurt Henning starts. This is where the, the Road Warriors really start torturing Kurt Henning, and they're uh, just, you know, beating him down. They bring an animal, and Jeff already kind of touched on it, so it's the same thing, but probably just as good or better. There's this fucking amazing power slam, like, just, you know... 360 degree spin and probably you know part of it that is that you know Kurt's so good at taking it you know probably his ability to leap into animals grasp and uh, just go for the ride it just looks so cool looks so great so that's when Jeff mentioned shortly after that Hawk gets back in and then we get that Ricky Steamboat on Randy Savage type choke where like Kurt Henning just leaps in the air and all of a sudden he's you know Hawk's arms are straight to the sky and he's choking Kurt and that just looks like super awesome. So Kurt fights back by doing an eye gouge to get out of this. <laughs> but it's not long after that Ellering yells at Kurt at one point where he's yelling at him you can he tells Kurt he can quit during the chin there's a chin lock and he's like you can quit you can quit. <laughs> <laughs> When Kurt's able to get out of this move, he does this thing where he scrambles through the ropes and he takes a swipe at Paul Ellering. <laughs> but, get him. Of, but of course, he's getting like stomped on while this is happening and stuff like that. So it's pretty funny. Of course, the Ellering's always being used at this point to like distract and then eventually, you know, usually get physically involved as well. Where's Wally Carbo? Exactly. Yeah, they should have kicked him out. <laughs> so there's a point where Hawk does a really big whip and a, mat, a reverse elbow. Kurt goes to the ride again on that. Then Animal's in with like a reverse chin lock. So they're really just, you know, Kurt's taking a lot of beating and Hawk presses Kurt. But he slides over for this reverse, you know, reverse roll up for two. And that's, unfortunately though, he's not able to get a tag or get out from that situation. So the Road Warriors continue the beat down and access, you know, his dad several times comes in because there's double teams happening in the corner. But the referee continually sends Larry, you know, out of the ring. So it's like Kurt's just getting punished all the time. And Animal gets this huge clothesline, so Axe has to come in and break up that pin. And then, so at this point, Hawk's beaten on Kurt, and he, but he fights out from that. And they, but again, Animal gets tagged in and comes in with a slam, and then he he goes for a splash. And that's when Kurt finally is able to get his knees up, and you know Animal takes the knees to the stomach. And that's when finally you get the hot tag. <laughs> so like, I think one thing we noticed here is that like Larry's not there to work like a whole ton of minutes. You know, he's there to like you know do a few spots and get out of the ring. So he comes in hot, he smashes both the Road Warriors, does this big clothesline on Animal, does a big elbow drop, and then he gets up and he tags Kurt Henning, <laughs> like, who's just, what? he's just been tortured. It's like, why are you tagging him back in? He's not ready. So Kurt comes in on the second rope and does this really weird drop kick. It doesn't look very effective because it's the wrong angle. He can't come off the top because it's a disqualification. So he has to try and do his drop kick off the second rope and it, yeah, it just looks weird. And so... 
he gets a pin off of that, but it's only for one count. And at that point, Ellering reaches in, like, to basically break the count up. I believe he's nearby, and he, you know, I don't know if he grabs Kurt's hair, or I forget what he does, but he sort of interferes in this pin. And so at that point, Axe starts beating up on Paul. <laughs> you know, he's, he's outside the ring giving him shots and stuff like that. Okay, well, remember, let's call him The Axe. The Axe. Because people, people might start to yeah, think we're talking about demolition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Definitely this Road Wars. Yeah. The Axe. Larry. Yeah. Larry Henning. Yeah. Larry the Axe Henning. That's right. And he did used to love to like do the forearm. Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, the uh, axe he, handle he, smash. Yeah, double double axe handles and yeah, stuff that like was that a, for you sure. See, so you, that part of, because he had a pretty boy nickname before, remember you told me? Or he called yeah. himself Handsome or? Yeah, with, he, when he was with looking, Harley Race, he was pretty boy. Pretty boy. This monster of a man. Larry Henning. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So. The axe. There's the. a point. <laughs> so really what this comes to a head with is that Larry Henning has had it. And so he he pulls Paul Ellering into the ring. And at this point, the Road Warriors are doing a double team on Kurt and the bell rings. So I'm thinking like, eh, you know, it's probably a throw out, right? Probably a, you know, but when they end up announcing Marty Miller gets in there and announces a DQ on the good guys. <laughs> they get DQ'd for bringing Paul in. <laughs> for dragging him into the ring? Yeah, that's right. Oh, and at some point I missed it. Okay. The ref had taken a bump. The ref's like, out. <laughs> He's uh, like laying on the ground. And I'm like, what? How did that happen? Where did, you know, I, I was too focused on something else, I guess. And then you're followed up with a post, post-match interview with the Warriors and Hawks, you know, I can't do the voice, but uh, it says, the people aren't stupid, you know, and they, they knew they were going to lose, so they got DQ'd on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah, yeah. So that's pretty funny. And really, to be honest, there's some, a lot of crowd noise, and the, the interview goes on for a while with a lot of yelling, and I kind of was having trouble understanding what they were saying. Like, it's, you know, again, not the greatest video quality, so the audio is probably not the greatest either. And uh, I did catch near the end, Paul Ellering says something along the lines of, like, when you wrestle the Ward Warriors, you enter a new dimension. And, and if you don't like it, we don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Love it, the Road Warriors. Okay, well, this is my angle, the Road Warriors. I told you I had, like, I think, here's my fantasy ring angle main event, Stargage. Okay? <laughs> so you have, let's say, uh, the Road Warriors, of course, it, it's, it's all about them, and they're going to be in the main event. And it's, it's not so much about person A. On the t- let's go with Greg Gagne. Greg Gagne says, I'm going to have a mystery opponent. Uh, sorry. Partner, mystery partner, and all you're going to see at, of course, that wouldn't work either because of the build for WrestleMania. You need to have that whole who's in it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But imagine that Greg Gagne brings out Mel Gibson in his Road Warrior (laughs) outfit with the little kid (laughs) with the red hair and the Road Warrior's like, oh no, wait, what the fuck? Well, wait, we can't, they they just go bananas and they're like mad, mad, and they're like, I'm not talking the Thunderdome outfit, but you know, so he's got like the, he's still got his motorcycle cop outfit, but he's got half a leather jacket or whatever That's right. And And he's got a really wicked looking gun. Can you imagine the pop? That'd be great. Mel Gibson coming out as Mad Max to wrestle with Greg Gagne. I mean, the match would be different different thing but yeah yeah the actual road warriors and it, it, just imagine like how they would the and like if they didn't do it that way just like building you know week mel gibson's coming to participate a special <laughs> announcer or anything to like you know like just any way to get the excitement of uh the road Warriors. yeah well I, I think that like the lethal weapon movies and other movies you know stuff like that made mel gibson out to be this big action hero but uh, i would have to think that when he got in the ring we would see how small he is compared to like the wrestlers <laughs> well he can't be any smaller than Greg Gagne, right? Well, he's probably shorter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Anyway. It's, um, it's a good idea, though. <laughs> we, oh, wouldn't that have been any fun? Uh, yeah, 1985, yeah. that star power would be, uh, that's uh, through the roof. That's, yeah. Uh, that, that's, that, would, uh, that would outdo Mr. T. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, well, that would be so much fun. Yeah. 
<laughs> that's pretty funny. Okay, so that's going to leave us with what is listed as the main event, the last match of the night. And it's a strange situation. It's a handicap match. So we have Sergeant Slaughter and Jerry Blackwell teaming up to take on Sheik's army of King Tonga and a mystery partner. I take a pride of what I do. <laughs> Mel Gibson is the mystery, the mystery partner. partner. <laughs> <laughs> no, he isn't. So one of these main events is a handicap match where Corey just laid up the combatants. And really, it's about Blackwell versus the Sheik. That's the uh, the long term angle. They used to be best of buddies. As, That's right. And Ken Patera was in there at one point, and we had uh, a build match that we covered earlier: uh, Slaughter versus Tonga, with uh, all that crazy cheating from Sergeant Slaughter. <laughs> That's right, the biggest cheater since Andre and Ogan. Yeah, incredible. So this, of course, is the not the blue big square section cage, but uh, more like the cage that I remember. The fence being made out of around my school playground. There was a fence. That's, right. and that's what this cage this is made is out the of. proper cage. Yeah. And they've got center poles, not in the corners, but halfway between, you know, but there are four support poles that are pretty, they're used as weapons throughout the whole match. It's pretty these. prominent, I guess. Yeah, eh? yeah. yeah, exactly. So one of the first things that King Tonga does, and he's in the ring with Blackwell, is climb up to the turnbuckles and then look like he's trying to escape. Like, <laughs> That's right. Doing, I was unclear. Tonga? Like, they didn't really cover that. So it appears, maybe, that the rules are some sort of a hybrid between WWF and NWA kind of cage match. Like, I can pin you, but maybe I can also escape. <laughs> yeah. If that would make sense as far as trying to justify why King Tonga looks like he's you know trying to leave the match in the first 60 <laughs> seconds of the video. But Blackwell grabs him and he doesn't make it out. And the faces start this whole match really indestructible is, is the yeah, flavor of, of course, the first yeah. few minutes. But they sell it hard because, I mean, these are the hired mercenary. Well, sorry, you didn't really give away the uh, big reveal. Of oh right, the yeah, third sorry. partner. That's right. I forgot you were you were leading, letting the suspense go. Okay, well this is where we're mixing our axes and our the axes because it's the masked superstar oh, Bill oh. Eady. Long right. before he's demolition, a part of demolition, but demolition is a storied team as well. We'll cover that uh, towards the end. I looked up some of the stats uh, about okay. Bill Eady. Yeah, and, sure. And a little story about him too. Anyway, so that's uh, who it is and. The masked superstar who uh, had singles matches against Andre in Japan and was a big deal. So if I'm correct, and I don't, I didn't watch the file as closely as Jeff did. The file doesn't really. It just kind of the match starts, and there's no. Yeah. It's not like a reveal of who's got the, the announcers aren't like this is. So maybe it was revealed like on a. A, tele, a syndicated show the week before or something. Maybe maybe the cat was already out of the bag. You can only wonder. We don't have a promo, and uh, there's no music associated with either team. Or the, the, right, you, Slaughter might have got his yeah, military got march. Or maybe they're just down to business. No shaking, saluting, hugging, and kissing. They are an odd couple, I gotta say. Blackwell and Sergeant Slaughter. That's right. Yeah. More on that later. They got a great after promo. Was awesome. Okay, so. The action is favoring the faces heavily, even though Masked Superstar is a guy that Vern even uh, considered putting the belt on. Like, no wow. jobber. Wow. Yeah. May as well get into it. So I watched a shoot interview where Bill Eady said, uh, I met Gagne for the first time, Vern, and he said, we're putting the belt on you. And he looked around and he said, well, where's Rick? He's a friend of mine. And he said, don't worry about that. <laughs> and then he starts talking about also you're going to go to Japan and here's how much you make and here's how much you're going to kick back and he says I make more than that in Japan already and he just left 
Wow, yeah. Yeah, so that probably... Vernon and his Japan money. It's messed up the Hogan stuff and messes yep. up other things, apparently. So how about that? That mass superstar could have been AWA champ. You Would know. have made sense. I mean, especially if we go back to the Rick story of, of wanting to give the belt up. Yeah. You know, so they're right. looking for somebody and Hanson became the guy, but, you know, maybe this maybe superstar was a uh, someone they preferred, you mm-hmm. know, before that. So here's a mass superstar having a hard time with uh, Crusher Jerry Blackwell and Sergeant Slaughter. And so is King Tonga. They're not selling for these guys. They're clobbering them. But it's the first few <laughs> minutes. Yeah. First few minutes. And pretty standard, except for that, you know, they're they're not giving these mercenaries much love. You That's know, right. these are top guys, right? Yeah. So um, King Tonga gets one move in. And he gets to tag in Billy Eady. Well, that's his real name. The mass superstar gets to tag in, big guy. Uh, but he gets battered too. I guess I already made that point. It takes a while before we get the Sheik. And he's in there with Blackwell. <laughs> Within 30 seconds, he has slammed him into the cage, hit him with the cast, and bitten him. <laughs> he's also laid the boots and so Blackwell gives up some juice he can blades right yes, away yeah, yeah. which is uh, how I remember Blackwell bleeding and in the corner as <laughs> my memories of Blackwell <laughs> oh, very groggy as well so the heels take over and now we start to see the prowess of the Sheik's army of generals um, <laughs> they're doing lots of tags and the Sheik it actually looks like a no DQ match you thought that cowboy bob orton used the cast that's right yeah the sheik is relentless right in front of the referee clobber clobber generally cage matches would be no dq but that's the weird thing about a tag team cage match like unless it's a texas tornado tag team which means that there's no tags it's just you know a free-for-all it 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 doesn't make a lot of sense like there has to be some rules because otherwise if there's no dq then why would you just stand on the apron (laughs) yeah Good point. In a handicap match. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay, right. Well, they're uh, they're biting and they're running his eyes on the ropes and uh, they're building the hot tag. And, That's right. And, and Blackwell takes a lot of punishment. That's his trademark. It's just absorbing a beating. And in this case, it's with the cast, absorbing a beating from the cast. Like, <laughs> special rules. Sheik Adnan Al-Casey's cast is legal one night only. That's right. The referee even makes the quip. Blackwell, groggy, and in the corner. And I'm like, there it is. For the commentator, you mean? Commentator, yeah. But eventually, Blackwell uh, will just no-sell. He doesn't pull a, you know, a hoker. Um, hoker. He doesn't pull a Hogan Quaker Oats, you know, shaking <laughs> and, and uh, start trembling and, you know, hulking up. Yeah, yeah, Blackwell yeah. Blackwell stands up and no-sells for the Sheik. And so the Sheik gets out of there. <laughs> of course. He's got to. That's right. King Tonga comes in. The Sheik... Uh, uh, Oh, shoot. I forget track. I've lost track of who bleeds when, but almost everybody's, the majority of them are bleeding by the time <laughs> the match is over. I know that Blackwell, you know, bleeds early. I think another one of the bad guys bleeds, but I'm kind of forgetting. But uh, King Tonga does some great Savat kicks, like, you know, the Shawn Michaels super kicks or whatever, but they're not finishers. But the way yeah. the camera's positioned, they just look lethal on, on Blackwell. Well, for sure. So, uh, Tonga looks amazing. His, his offense is, is great. And he goes for a slam, tries to pick up Jerry Blackwell. Now they start to give us some of the numbers. Uh, 472 pounds. <laughs> they're booking Blackwell. And they say yeah. that's 200 pounds, pounds more than King Tonga, making him 272 pounds. Yeah. Uh, still no tag. So we're building this heat. Um, after the faces had the initial offense, you know, they are now it's Blackwell taking all the bloody beatings for the good guys. Including, I'm in the wrong corner. Where? Help me! Somebody, somebody, get in here! Somebody, tag me! 
eventually they do it and the crowd goes crazy. Sergeant Slaughter comes in and he takes on all three bad guys. Of he's, course, yes. He's pounding the mass superstar and he's pounding but, King but Kong. He's a real American hero after yeah. all. And and uh, most of all, he's pounding that that Baghdad bum, Sheikh Al KC. Then he's got, I think it's a mass superstar is in the ring and Sergeant Slaughter tries to pull a Jimmy Snuka. He climbs the top rope, but then he looks wow. like he's, yeah, but his size, he's way bigger than Snuka yeah. and taller. And like he even gets his hip, like he like he puts one foot, you know, onto the top of the steel cage. Oh, he's trying to go up to the top yeah. of the cage. Yeah, this, yeah. Not just the turnbuckles, the, the top of the cage. Wow. But he, he, he doesn't do it. Instead, yeah. he climbs back down the top turnbuckle. Yeah, yeah. I cli- okay, now I've seen that. Yeah, he climbed to the top. Then he climbed back down to the yeah. third rope. Well, it looks like, dude, don't do yeah. it. You know? Yeah, you're going to kill somebody. Yeah. And uh, he misses. Maybe, maybe yourself. <laughs> yeah. He goes for a top rope elbow or something, but he misses and the heels take over. And now Sergeant begins to bleed. Yeah, so yeah, he now, likes to bleed. Yeah, so he's bladed. He's made a couple attempts to demask the mass superstar and the announcers have been now I want to keep saying that the commentators keep saying he's never been demasked and it's kind of like a subplot <laughs> that's you right know, yeah. once he's in there and he actually gets it up over his chin Ooh. so this distracts the mass superstar he was probably glad later on it was like all right I'll trade that mask for face paint any day and some glitter <laughs> you know now I can breathe well the whole point of unmasking somebody is the reveal and in Bill Eady's case, and someone can correct me, is that I think he always had a mask on up to that point in his career. So it would be like, yeah. aha, uh, who? <laughs> yeah. Mr. Jenkinson. Yeah, you meddling kids. Exactly. So the cast gets used again, and uh, there's just a lot. I have bang, pow. It's like a Batman <laughs> from the 60s television show. There's a lots of kicking and punching and clubbing with the cast. But now we come towards the finisher, and it's a very satisfying finisher. Okay. Again, we almost have to assume that there's no DQ or special rules because, well, this is actually fun. I didn't make this point yet. What you have on one side of the ring, uh, you have future champions for the WWF. You've got... Sergeant Slaughter, future world champion. Right. And he's taking on these two hired goons, hired goons, uh, <laughs> these generals in the Adnan Al-KC army who happen to be King Tonga, who will go on to become Haku, and the mass superstar who will go on to become Demolition Axe. And these guys actually traded the belts. That's right. Yeah. On different Back and forth. teams. <laughs> That's right. I looked it up. And uh, so you've got, on the one side, you got the future world champion with two future tag champions who you know, yeah, as yeah. you just said. Yeah. And then meanwhile, we've got the actual heat, Blackwell and the Sheik. Yeah, yeah. So while Sergeant Slaughter is at first getting double teamed by the tag champs, <laughs> <laughs> Blackwell's working over Al Casey and gives him a nice avalanche in the corner. Yeah, yeah. And so at that time, uh, Ad- he's a thick guy, Adnan oh, Al Casey. Yeah. And like, he's, he's no Jimmy Hart. No, know? definitely not. So he falls down and then. You know, they do the, on the one side, the gold side of the ring, the bad guys whip Slaughter into the ropes and they're going to, you know, do a double clothesline, but he ducks under. (laughs) Meanwhile, Blackwell's climbed outside of the ring and he's now climbing the top rope. Blackwell, almost 500 pounds, he's climbing to the top turnbuckle. Macho man style. Macho man style. Yeah, I know. I guess he's got the cage to stabilize him. He does. So... Sarge ducks under, bounces off the ropes, and he pulls the double clothesline on the hired heels. <laughs> Boom, they go down as Jerry Blackwell comes off the top rope Whoa. for a splash onto the prone Adnan Al KC. And how Jeez. are you going to get up from that? One, two, 
three. Jeez. And uh, what a great match. And like, boy, does Blackwell, you know, finish the feud, get his revenge. It's just fucking awesome. It's terrific. Uh, there's a great extra, but, but what fun in the ring. Yeah. It's interesting, too, because I think like when people look back at the AWA and sort of focus on what would be considered super cards. So let's say Super Sunday, uh, the different clash sort of pay-per-views. They didn't have a pay-per-view until later on, but you get my point. The rock, rock and wrestling. The point I'm trying to get to is that the main events generally always ended up being a little bit of a letdown because the good guys never really won. You know, nobody ever got the moment to get the three count to win the belt or something. Yeah, and they it was always, did that in Hogan's days. The in Hogan's days, but even beyond that, like, you know, it was always something. It was always, there was always some, you know, when Kurt Henning wins the belt, well, it's, there's a big delay because, you know, did he use the, did he use the foreign object or not? Is he actually going to keep the, you know, they set up, they set up the dusty finish. Kurt actually gets the belt, but you don't find out for a week. Mm. So the crowd doesn't get to pop, you know? So, this is finally maybe an example of a quote unquote super card where like the thing that's listed as the main event, the good guys finally actually get a pin and, you know, actually win something, you know, right. like, yeah, yeah. And yeah, Vern was stingy in all ways. Vern really, if you look back, the only true hero moments were Vern, Vern winning the title oh, in these boy, big, oh in these big cards. He pretty <laughs> much didn't let anybody else ever do it. If they did it, they weren't, in, they weren't going on last. It was like, nobody was allowed to have. The close of the show, I'm the I'm the new top good guy or whatever moment, you know. And again, your world champion's not on this card, so it's it's hard to say that this is some sort of crowning moment or anything like that. But at least for this night, this crowd at least got the satisfaction of like we came here to see the, you know Sheik get his ass kicked and he got squashed. He sure <laughs> did. It was great. Oh, I really did like that finish. And then, so outside the ring, we have an interview with Blackwell and Slaughter. It goes on for a while, but it's pretty actually entertaining because, uh, you know, Blackwell's (laughs) like, Slaughter, you, you took me to boot camp. I don't like boot camp. I don't like you. <laughs> and, you know, a couple times attention, you think they're going to go at it. And he's, you know, Slaughter's just like back. So, oh, oh, I see. He, uh, I, yeah. I, I hear you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Blackwell's like, you made me train. Get I, up in the morning. I get it. I don't I like it. you. <laughs> and Slaughter's like, well, that's America, of course, where you don't like somebody, but you can get in the ring and take care of these bums. <laughs> and uh, it was, but it was pretty fun because Blackwell's a big lazy guy. <laughs> He's a sergeant. Uh, a mil- his whole shtick is like boot camp military. Yeah, you know, sergeant. And give me a hundred push-ups, you maggot. You know. <laughs> yeah. So that was pretty fun. Anyway, I decided to uh, investigate, and it turns out that Bill Eady went on to become Acts of Demolition, and uh, they actually have the record of the long. Longest reign, Axe and Smash together. It would yeah. appear to this day nobody held the belt longer than Axe and Smash of Demolition. And while Corey and I had a different perspective because we knew the, the real deal, the Road Warriors, I mean, you got to give it to them. They, you know, they, because yes. uh, I mean, performers have their demons that prevent them from, you know, the maybe the storylines that they would could, all kinds of things, injuries, all kinds of things. Things so they, get in the way. Yeah, you know, these are workhorse. He, he, you know, this guy, I, have, I respect yeah. both of them now. In the 19. 19- 80s and WWF to basically monopolize the tag titles the way they did from 1988 to 1990-ish was unmatched. Yeah. You know, like I, they certainly weren't my favorite team and I no. wish there was other t- teams that won the belts, but no, anybody else who won the belts, they never helped. They they always, you know, yeah. their, their run came to an end pretty quick, you know? So 
they had a really unconvincing face turn, like one of the weakest I've ever seen. Oh yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, and but this does allow me to bring up bring up the other tag team champion of all time. I think it was Demolition. It was a battle of the phony road warriors, basically. <laughs> That's right. Demolition yeah. versus Warlord and Barbarian, both impressive guys. But like yeah. to me, I just couldn't take them seriously because they were ripping off the the road warriors. Although I gotta say, the road warriors versus Powers of Pain looked cool in the wrestling mags. And it did, yeah, and 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 that actually kind of worked. Yeah, they, I have seen some fairly decent matches between the two teams in the NWA. Right, but this was like demolition versus the what did they, did they still call them the Powers of Pain? Yeah, they were. Yeah, they were yeah, brought okay. in under the Powers of Pain so, name and everything. Fuji double crosses demolition and hits them with the cane, and then he's now the managers of the Powers of Pain, and that's how. The powers of pain also turn heel. Well, yeah, it's a double turn. Yeah, yeah, it's a Survivor Series '88. Uh, only Fuji stays a bad guy. Yeah, and it's 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 kind of like, hey, pull the heel turn in the title match when you can get the belt. Don't pull the heel turn. You know, it's like it's the classic Weak. like um, the villain telling the hero what the plot is. You know, <laughs> before right. the movie's over, it's just like no, <laughs> very badly done. But Mr. Fuji, however, of note is that he, uh, with different partners, had the belt more than anybody else. One of the tag belts. Over a right. thousand, just just under a thousand days, Mr. Yeah, Fuji yeah, was a tag we, team we looked champion. Up, he, had those, he had those five different title runs between his two tag partners that we talked about on that Saturday night's main event card. And, and Demolition, as Corey was saying, it, it amounted to just under 700 days that they were the tag team champions. That's right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I'll give it to them for their, their title reign. Uh, they didn't have the longevity of the Road Warriors because they really were only like, they started as a tag team in roughly 87 and, you know, they were basically done by, you know, once you bring in Crush in 1990, it's, you know. That brings me to the sad kind of last look. There was a match where you've got purple and orange Crush yeah. against the Repo Man. <laughs> and that my, you know, the guys that I like to watch OSW review, uh, they're like, look at this. This is, you know, demolition clashing, you know, but it's not. It's it's it's, it's orange and purple Crush and yeah. Repo Man, who is, um, of course, Smash and uh, like in a different this character. Like there's built in heat, but the, if the WF doesn't want to acknowledge it on yeah. TV, then if the commentators aren't going to talk about it, then it's yeah. sort of... Yeah, it's a different character. So that was, that was a pity to like, you know, see that years down the road these these stalwart champions you know i didn't really like you like you i wasn't that crazy into it and i didn't really like the whole free bird rule that got applied to them you know how crush joined the team and anybody could you know any two of the three could defend the belt and yeah just i I, you know assuming that bill edie doesn't get this i think he got sick on some fish or something in the when they were in japan and then they found out he had some other condition, health condition that they were worried about. And that's really why Crush got brought in. It would be interesting to see if, like, if Bill Eadie doesn't get sick at that point, you know, Crush probably isn't a thing. Probably this third demolition just isn't doesn't happen. So, yeah. Anyway, that was my, I was just watching that one day and I was like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, here's demolition. So because OSW, demolition, that's the, that, I guess that's, that's your version of the Laps fan. That's your That's show. right. Well, they do the video stuff. Yeah, so I get, right. to, you know, when they talk about something, then they show you the botch, you know, <laughs> and so that's fun. And they uh, put a lot of work a lot of time into their 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 programs yeah. and so yeah i i've been watching other stuff lately you know to keep up with the podcast but i got to say that those are the guys that taught me a lot of interesting things while you're watching these matches you saw back then and then right. you know you get a really cool perspective from watching OSW review that's neat 
And they love the Macho Man, so... Oh, yeah, I'm talking about OS Double That's right, yeah. I think the first time you ever mentioned them, I was like, I think I've seen that that logo, and sure enough, yeah, and I went and checked se- out, and I'm like, oh, that's that logo I've seen, yeah. Their second or third video is like a little recap or tribute to the Macho Man. Neat. And it, it isn't isn't as popular as their other videos because like you got it's competing with WrestleMania one and yeah, two yeah, and for you sure. know so but yeah they're great. Yeah so this brings a close to this super card in St. Paul's Star Cage, which would go on for decades of successful... Uh, no, it wouldn't. <laughs> they, they could have called it Thunderdome. Thunderdome. With Mad Max. <laughs> Mel Gibson. Versus the Road Warriors. <laughs> okay, we're going to have one more segment before we wrap things up. Stay tuned. Okay, so in lieu of a what-if segment this week... We got to turn the tables back and really pay homage to one of our favorite of all time, the Iron Sheik. Cosro. Cosro, world champion. <laughs> the Ville, world champion, whatever. <laughs> so, yeah, as you could tell from listening to previous shows of ours, we really enjoyed his you know, performances and he was a big part of our childhood. And, you know, it just so happens that, you know, for all of us this you know, last week, that you know, he, the, the gentleman left us, so it's a chance to look back, and there's just a lot of things that came from that. And, of course, the Iron Sheik had a strong connection to the AWA because he was trained by Vern Gagne, and he started his career in the AWA, and he had a strong connection to that Minnesota crew. And it's really neat because he's someone who turned a true, actual um, amateur background. You know, he, he wrestled in the Olympics for Iran, and, and, you know, he really was able to use the things from his own life, from his real life, to create that character and become one of the greatest villains of all time. Absolutely. I forgot how much... Um, well, actually, I like him better now than I did at the time. Well, of course, yeah. I mean, that was the point, right? I mean, yeah. you, were, you were supposed to dislike him, and I think that, in many ways, his mid-80s run to the end of his career was... Much of it was sort of in comedy and, you know, and sort of uh, as this wacky character. And we saw that even when they weren't on a match on Saturday Night's Main Event, you know, they had to be, <laughs> Vince had to make sure that they were seen, you know, even if they weren't in a match, that Volkov and Sheik were, you know, getting used because they just sort of embodied this, you know, style that he was going for in the mid-80s. But when you back it up a little bit further, you can see that, you know, he could play a more serious character, a more vicious heel. Absolutely. Well, um, I guess... Part of that would be the fact that we came to know the Iron Sheik on his decline. He was the guy who famously gave up the belt to Hogan and never really threatened taking it back from Hogan. So right. there was a bit of a, oh, well, he's already a B-lister because he's been dispatched. Yeah, I mean, he did get his world a- tag team title run shortly after that. Right. So that sort of saved a bit of face. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah. it, it could be argued that we missed his peak. Oh, we absolutely missed his peak, for sure. There's no question that we missed it his peak. It will be argued, we missed his peak. We missed his peak. But, you know, and I, I've seen this week, there's been comments, and I, and, I, and we're, we're gushing over him right now, so no confusion over how much love that I and we have for the Iron Sheik. But I, when I saw things like, if it wasn't for the Iron Sheik, there would be no Hulk Hogan. It's like, yeah, come on. Like, that's, you know, a lot of people could have played that heel transitional champion that Hogan was going to run over. And, you know... Madison Square Garden, we've talked about this before, you know, this it's a launching pad to take 
Hulk Hogan and Hulkamania to heights it's never been, but it's not step one. You know, he's got three solid years in the AWA as in the biggest star in wrestling uh, before he gets to the WWF. So I, I you know, I'm not going to go down that road. But Sheik was perfect for that moment. He was the perfect person to be in this position, to be that heel champion, to, you know, let Hogan sort of assume that mantle as this American hero, you know, against this foreign threat. And there was no greater person in that moment at that time who could personify that evil than the Iron Sheik. In our review of Saturday Night's main event, the Iron Sheik is in the thick of his feud with Corporal Kirshner. (laughs) (laughs) It seems that's almost more of a Volkov feud than anything else. But um, yeah, he sort of was lacking in the storylines. Half a feud. (laughs) Half a feud, yeah. And so let's, let's... Go down a few paths. One is let's do a mini what if, just because it's been talked about to death. So some version of this has to be true, is that before Hogan was able to assume that throne and get that three count, you know, it's it's been reported by so many sources that Vern Gagne reached out to his old friend and offered him a large sum of money, and I've heard everything from about 50 grand to 200 grand, to break Hogan's leg. A bounty. A bounty on Hogan. Break his leg and come to the AWA with the WWF title, and Vern would make Sheik the AWA champion. (laughs) Crazy rumor, but uh, it seems to be pretty popular. Doesn't go away. And, you know, as it's been said, Sheik turned around and went and told Vince, <laughs> you know, and of course didn't turn on Hogan and didn't, you know, betray things. And, and that's why Vince remained so loyal to him throughout his, you know, throughout his career. Now, there was one big stumbling block for the Iron Sheik, which did end his WWF career a little earlier than it probably would have. And that was a certain car ride with a certain man named Hacksaw Jim Duggan <laughs> sometime in 1987, where two bad things happened. One is that, you know, they got arrested for some illicit uh, materials, but more importantly, maybe, that sounds funny to say, but they broke those kayfabe rules because, it, you, know, it was, you know, what was more of a problem was than getting caught with, uh, you know, cocaine or whatever it was that they had in the car was the fact that these babyface and this heel who were in the middle of this hot feud were driving together so they really kind of like you know shot themselves in the foot there yeah you wouldn't think the consequences would be virtually anything now they probably wouldn't but uh this might be one of the last times that uh, a serious blunder uh played out in the public and um you know the people still believed i mean we touched early in this episode about the the crowd attacking the road warriors i mean some of these people acted as if you know the the theater became real to them you know absolutely the, the yeah power of human imagination and it seems like uh, it was a lot more uh dangerous and exciting when you know the crowd actually was fooled and or, they or at least willing to be fooled like yeah right well thrust it wasn't thrust in their face that it was fake even if they kind of knew it was fake they were like you got to wonder to what degree some of these people i mean when you when you you try to stab somebody or physically attack them you know it's hard to say whether what you're believing or knowing is real or fake in that moment like that uh, that that guy and uh <laughs> So it's powerful he, stuff. You know, professional wrestling is like when you go to see a movie, you know it's not real. When you go to see a play, you know it's not real. But uh, back in the day, when you went to see wrestling, it maybe you didn't know it was not real. That's possible. So the result of that car ride got both men let go from the company. Now, Hacksaw 
found his way back into the good graces pretty quickly, but Sheik never did until later on in his career, much later on. But <laughs> several years ago, Jeff came across a video, and I'm, 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 what, 10 years ago, 12 years? It was a long time ago. And <laughs> it's a pretty funny little bit of business. And it, for some reason, it's the Iron Sheik and the Honky Tonk Man and a gentleman that we didn't know at the time, who apparently turned out to be New Jack, um, are filmed themselves in one of their living rooms, and it's a crazy bit of video. I, I, I'm pretty sure they're all blasted out of their head, but Sheik is telling the story <laughs> of how he found out about uh, what happened with this uh, with getting arrested. So I'll, I'll let Jeff uh, take that one. Well, this is one that probably comes best from the the mouth of the horse, uh, but essentially, it, it's a there's a language barrier that uh, prevents Sheik from understanding his predicament when. Um, he finds out, indeed, that uh, he has tested positive on the drug test. But uh, Sheiky's got it backwards. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you got to do the line. Well, okay. If I do the line, that means you'll have to go and Google it yourself because I don't want to be compared back to back. But, uh, you know, yeah. he's uh, in this particular clip. Vincent Kennedy, Vincent McMahon, you tell me my test is a positive I thought the positive was good. <laughs> it's a no, chic, no, it's a bad. Ah. <laughs> the other part, funny part was Marty Janetti explained how uh, the same meeting, uh, Iron Sheik allegedly said to Vince McMahon before he, he, he he's just confused and he says, "Well, what about uh, Don Morocco? He tested positive." And he's like, and and McMahon's like, "Oh no!" He says, "How about uh, you know Hakshajim Dugga? He tested positive." And he says, "No." And he goes, "I don't understand. We all did the same with coke." <laughs> and Vince McMahon's like, "Uh huh." <laughs> Doesn't realize he's busted these other That's wrestlers. Right. <laughs> That's great. So yeah, there's lots of good comedy with Sheik and and you know he accomplished a lot in his career and stuff like that. Uh, we did record a funny clip a couple of weeks ago that just we didn't have room to fit it on a show, so it's kind of sitting in our back pocket. So we'll uh, we'll insert that right here. Oh, there was one thing I didn't tell you that I had watched. I found a, a little outtake of Sheiky Baby where he's actually got a live turkey. Did you see this one? <laughs> So no. no, I think they're doing a Thanksgiving, right? <laughs> and uh, Mean Gene's like, "Shake, come out here for a minute." And they got a live turkey on a, yeah, yeah. on you know, in a cage. And the, you know, the she comes out. The, I'm sick and tired, the stupid idiot, the bird that I'm doing. He spits on the turkey. And like at one point, he grabs, he opens the hatch, and he grabs the turkey by the neck. Look like a Hulk Hogan, the stupid idiot, ugly bird. And then he tries to put the turkey back in, and he ends up like closing the hatch, you know, and it kind of bounces off the turkey's head. But it's just, it's not, you know, it's like wood and wire, you know, and turkeys yeah. are, you know, 25 pound creatures. They're actually pretty. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Mean Gene can't hold it together and he's laughing. And then some guy like, you know, Carbo or whoever's off camera comes in and is like, you potato the turkey. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) that's, that was a pretty funny, uh, Jeff, you, you, you can, uh, you know, give us any other comments on that one. Cause the potato, the turkey. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just remember one more 
outrageous accusation by the Sheik. He was complaining about, for whatever reason, he had to give Jake the Snake a big bag of cocaine to take across state lines or something. And then later on, when he got the bag back, he know he's like, not even the one to sniff Jake the Snake and all of my coke. I said, take my coke. You give me back in the bag. And you Jake the Snake. I yard murder, you son of a bitch. One little sniff. <laughs> so of course she did get one last real big moment of glory which is the uh the gimmick battle royal which i believe was wrestlemania 20 i'm sorry if i'm getting that one wrong but uh you know as the story goes when they booked how it was going to finish they were like they couldn't figure out a way to get Sheik out of the ring without hurting him so he had to win <laughs> <laughs> nice i didn't know that yeah oh that's cool <laughs> yeah so that's pretty funny did Sheik add non-lkc did he come in to support slaughter what, and, yes uh, yeah the, the, so that the so, two yeah. sheiks were together Both the, yeah colonel mustafa was iron Sheik, and then yeah exactly general adnan was uh was she was casey so we had we had both our sheiks <laughs> ah. in the 91 you know the the summer basically like you know the the WrestleMania Seven, which was Adnan was part of that with Slaughter, and then the run up to SummerSlam where Hogan and Warrior fight them. That's when they bring in. Uh, <laughs> that's when they bring in Colonel Mustafa. They bring back the Sheik. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> Another one I love is in WCW. He got a pretty rich contract. They realized quite quickly that he couldn't really wrestle anymore. You know, he's too many injuries and stuff. So they ended up after a while just kind of sending him home. So he was just collecting a check to do nothing. And they were so disorganized as a company that uh, they let his contract roll over by accident. So he got a second year on this contract for doing nothing. Nice. <laughs> that's the way to do it. That's right. Bring home that bacon. Okay. That's uh, going to wrap us up this week. We're going to miss the Sheik, but uh, that doesn't mean we can't talk about him every week because we got lots of old wrestling to watch and he's certainly a big part of it. So next week... We're going to get back on the Saturday Night's Main Event Trail. So it's going to be the fifth Saturday Night's Main Event, the setup for WrestleMania 2, a title defense of Hulk Hogan against Don Morocco, and the debut of a certain tag team that's going to get me pretty excited. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Okay. So please listen to these words about how to follow and contact us. Check out Patreon, where we have finally our Growing Up AWA Part 2 has been listed, so that's your good excuse now to go over and see us there. So this word's coming up. We'll tell you how to do that. We'll see you next week. Take care. Bye-bye. Right, so there's a few ways you can follow us or get a hold of us. wanted to pass that along and make sure it's clear what to do. So if you have any stories, any thoughts, any feelings you want to pass along, please email us at legendarywrestlingobsession at gmail.com. And of course, we really want people to go over to Patreon where they can eventually find episodes two and three of our Growing Up AWA will be there on Patreon. And to get there, you're going to have to type in patreon.com forward slash legendary wrestling obsession. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com. And if you're having trouble or anyone's having trouble finding our podcast, send them over to legendarywrestlingobsession.podbean.com. And that's where you'll find our episodes. It's the quickest place they load. The fastest way to listen to us talk about wrestling. What he said. Yeah.